0: so wrong. We must leave.
1: Hello, welcome once again to Dark Discussions, your place for the discussion of horror, film, fiction, and all that's fantastic. I am one of your co-hosts, Philip, from the state of New Hampshire in the U.S.
2: Of A, and with me in the state of New York. Hi, this is Mike. Mike, how's it going, sir? Um... Tired Phil, but otherwise I'm fine. How are you? I'm
1: doing all right, doing all right. And in the state, uh let me rephrase that, in the in the province of Alberta, Canada?
3: Hi, it's Sean. I hope everyone is uh doing well. Sean, how are you? I'm keeping busy. <laughs>
1: excellent, excellent. Now Sean, you you got a uh uh actually I'm sorry. Mike, Mike, you have to get the, the wiki up, so so you're gonna be doing the wiki tonight. Yeah, I actually am typing that in right now. Excellent, excellent. For folks who are curious, uh we're we're only have the three of us tonight. Uh there's some uh, issues where Barrett uh has a massive cold. Uh at least he's we're we're hoping it's not COVID. Um so uh uh hopefully we get better. He skipped work today and everything, so he was out um been sick for two days now. And then uh Eric uh, has a lot of stuff that's going on this week that just literally knocked him out uh from doing anything um except for uh related to uh the the uh, i guess the, the home and work life uh so uh it'll just be the handful of us chrissy uh is sometimes chrissy and abe is is working nights and then uh kevin lets. I uh, couldn't make it either because it was a late notice um, that I, I notified them. Uh, but that's all right. We got three folks here, um, so let me just do some of the house cleaning first. Uh, we are part of the Dark Discussions News Network, which is www.darkdiscussions.com. Uh, this is the podcast that started it all, Dark Discussions Podcast. Uh, it is um, uh, going on eleven years now. Uh, and the website actually was formed right about now in 2011, and uh, the first episode came out, I think, late April or or so of 2011, so uh, we're almost 11 years. Uh, for folks who are curious, uh, today is March uh, 24th, 2022. Uh, for folks who uh, always want to know when we release these episodes, because sometimes we don't release them in the order uh, that they come out. We sometimes throw them in the queue, and they sit there for I don't know, three, four months. Uh, actually, uh, the episode that's going to be released tomorrow, which is Blood, Moon, Sky, I think it's called, uh, where we have a guest host, Dan Lynch. Uh, that was recorded back six months ago. So uh, that one's coming out tomorrow. This episode will probably come out actually uh, next week. Was um, I on
2: that episode?
1: Uh, yeah, I believe you were. That was the, the German airplane uh, hijacking. Yeah, I think you're on that Oh,
2: episode. okay, yeah, now I know what it is. Got yep, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's an
1: interesting film. We don't want to spoil it, but uh, uh, if you see the the trailer, uh, it's it's spoiled, so you'll know what it is. Uh, but uh, either way, uh, we have an email, darkdiscussions at aol dot com, where you can email us, or you can go to darkdiscussions.com dot com and press the contact us link on the the menu and that will open up a box that will also send us some email we will read your emails on the podcast Uh, we also have mentioned the website where you can get articles and various other podcasts uh including uh some new ones and then uh we have a facebook group called dark discussions podcast facebook group And so forth. Uh, We also have a Patreon button, which you can find on the website on pretty much every page. And you can just go to darkdiscussions.com. Actually – Uh, you can go to patreon.com backslash Dark Discussions as well. Uh, For every $5 that you donate to the podcast, you will have a chance to um, choose a topic for us to do. Uh, We just did a couple that were released, Rocky Carl Picture Show and Heather's. Uh, Bad Moon is in the queue to uh, be edited. That should be coming out pretty quick. It was the one that almost was released uh, tomorrow, but I switched it to uh, the the German airplane film. Uh, But either way... um, If you donate, say, $15 each month, uh, you could get three choices. So you could choose Scream, Friday the 13th, and Nightmare on Elm Street, or you could just choose Nightmare on Elm Street three times. And then it all goes thrown into a figurative hat, basically a spreadsheet, and then we randomize through a computer randomizer to pick a number, and whatever comes up is the episode we will record. Uh, We pull that every quarter of uh, the year. So uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll be uh, picking a new Patreon pick. Uh, what also,
0: last one we pulled was
1: that Heather's, or was there something else? Uh, Bad Moon. Bad Moon. Oh no, you're right. It was Heather's. Yeah, Bad Moon. Or no, I think it was. He- it was either Heather's or Heather's or Bad Moon. They were both the last two. I,
2: I forget which was first, though. Um, and we're still waiting on something wicked. This week comes for it to be regularly available.
1: Yeah, that one is tough. And then we have Ride, R Y D E, which uh yeah, we we're should knock that one out, out,
2: out at some point soon too because that that's been a long wait.
1: Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Um so we'll do do that one shortly as well. Um and that's pretty much uh all the house cleaning uh we may have uh what we've been watching and some updates on the new podcast that we have that's coming out that we're gonna be recording uh this sunday and uh some other stuff, maybe news as well um and you know we'll we'll bring all that up after we discuss our film tonight, assuming we have time um now uh we do have a specific reason we're doing the film tonight and there was a handful of films uh sean actually mentioned a third one that could have qualified uh as well uh but uh mike what happened there was, a, there was a, a passing and and so we're doing a some sort of episode because yeah wait
2: william hurt passed uh now william hurt, it was um a mainstream actor but he has been in some genre things he actually got his start uh, with uh, altered states was his film debut, um, and I think was this his follow up to altered states? Yeah, yeah.
1: There, there was this one and envelopes or something like that came out the same year in eighty one, and we'll discuss what this film is in a second. But uh, body, uh, uh, this this film here is pretty much his second main main film. Yeah, that's right. All
2: right. So he had been up uh, actually diagnosed, I guess, with. Uh, Prostate cancer, I guess a couple of years ago uh, yep. uh and untreatable, which again please go get tested and um get Indeed. take care of yourself uh because it's 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 a thing that's very treatable if it's caught early uh in most cases so uh I had not either i if i if i i don't know maybe I forgot or I missed that announcement um but so <laughs> I was kind of taken by surprise at, at his passing. Uh, yeah, he he may, he may have been hiding
1: it uh, a lot. You know, like when Michael Crichton passed, he didn't let anybody know that he had lung cancer, and uh, Kelly Preston, when she had breast cancer, she didn't let anybody know. And and when they passed, it was complete surprises. So it could be something like that, Mike.
2: Yeah, well, he no, apparently there wasn't a, uh, a public announcement, um, but I don't know. He's he was an interesting actor in that he like had a meteoric rise in the eighties, and then fell the earth really fast, and I think a lot of that. If you look up, he had uh, some substance abuse issues that he would had to deal with. Yep. Um, and there's been some stories that have come out, and I don't want to shortchange them by saying the stories, but yep. where he had abusive relationships with uh, a couple of his former partners, one of which is uh, former co-star Marley, Marley Matlin. Uh, she wrote a book a couple of years ago and basically accused him of abusing her. I think maybe even raping her. And he he didn't deny it. He basically came out and gave a what I'm sure was a lawyer's version of uh, an admission and an apology without in any way indicting himself. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, look, somebody does stuff on on drugs and or alcohol and I'm not going to say they're not responsible, but if they get clean and they're looking for forgiveness, that stuff does affect your behavior. But we have talked about individuals in the past like um, uh, Roman Polanski or you know Johnny Depp or whoever, and we're about the entertainment, not about the gossip. Not that it doesn't matter as human beings, but we look at the body.
1: Yeah, indeed, indeed. And William Hurt, he, he had some... Uh, issues, behavioral health issues, as we discussed, or as Mike mentioned, um, and that elephant in the room has been spoken of. Uh, However, uh, he was a a huge actor during the 80s. Uh, Like you said, he was a leading man. He was nominated for multiple Academy Awards. Uh, We actually did a film of his where he was nominated for an Academy Award on the Cinema Arcade podcast uh where he did a history of violence and was nominated in that film uh for supporting actor uh he um uh as you said i uh, kind of dropped off quick and became a character actor afterwards um which uh was partly because of as we mentioned uh some um drug issues earlier in his career um and then of course um During that period, he was uh, hard to work with, they said, except for uh, with a handful of directors, including the director of the film Tonight, who he was good buddies with. Um, And then um, at the time, he had a rejuvenation in his career, had some really good roles um, and was able to uh, establish himself as a character actor afterwards and had a great career as a follow up to the leading man roles. And he even was quoted once saying that he was in the body of a leading man, but his mind was that of a character actor, uh, which is an interesting quote uh, because um, his personality on screen um, seems to be similar to his personality off screen, which is very uh, quiet, uh, kept to himself, didn't like the press, and didn't like to do interviews. Um, and you can see that in in some of his best work, uh, including my favorite film by him, also directed by the same director and written by my favorite ac- uh, favorite author at the time, and Tyler, which was a accidental tourist. Um, that that was a great book. And it was a great movie, and um, uh, he starred in that as well.
2: Yeah, I uh, mean, I don't want to. I'm not going to say he everything he is in was was a classic, but you look at his streak from 1980 to 1988 and you go you have altered states body heat big chill kits of the spider woman children of a lesser god broadcast news and accidental tourist um and then after that it becomes thinner uh and he becomes less significant um he was in dark oh, do- City,
1: oh, dark Doctor was a great film. The Doctor,
2: you. which I it was, eh, I remember seeing him. He gave an okay performance, but it wasn't a great film. Uh, Dark, but I remember Dark getting City. a lot of praise. What's that? Dark City in ninety eight. He was good. Uh, right, right. Now, by the time you get to Dark City, though, that was again a, a smaller production. It was uh, Alex Proyas's. I don't know if it's first film or uh, it was certainly an early one for him. Um, you know, you really have to look. You know, he had a, a he was in AI with for Spielberg. Um, but a lot of it he's now he's just yeah, ends it. up being relegated to character actor, The Village with M. Night Shyamalan, and then History of Violence again as Richie. Um
3: He was also good as uh Mr. Rochester and Jane Eyre. Yeah. And that came out in ninety six, I think.
2: Yeah, one uh, of sorry. Eric's favorite films, Mr. Brooks. Oh, uh, it,
0: it and was, then, it,
2: oh yeah, that's right. He was uh, in the mini series.
1: Uh, June he was in, and he, he played yep. the uh, Isaac Oscar Isaac role. He he played that role. Leo uh, Atreides. It. Yeah, that's it exactly. Yeah, and
2: yeah. he uh, and for any younger listeners out there, or certainly listeners with with uh, children, they'll probably know William Hurt because he's played uh, Thunderbolt Ross in the Incredible Hulk and. Uh, I think for Mar uh, Captain America's Civil War, they brought him back for that, and he's been kind of an irregular appearance in the MCU ever since. So
3: it's he uh, was Infinity that, War, too. Yeah,
2: yeah, well, uh, it was Infinity War, definitely Endgame. Yeah, he was actually in both, I yeah. think Infinity War and Endgame. So he's been there, and um, so younger generations are getting to expose to him. I mean, he's obviously not, uh, you know, like Captain America or something, but you know, it's there. Um, so the name is out there. He's had a, had a very distinguished, very long career. I do think he's a very good actor. Uh, there's a producer. I won't mention his name, but I was listening to him on a podcast. They were talking about his passing, and uh, they were talking about some of the difficulties, and this particular producer is not ever really uh, afraid to pull his punches and sometimes give behind-the-scenes information and said that um, you know he would get the uh, – he would get a comment on like audition cards, which is NF, which stands for not funny and or NFF, which is not funny with another word put in. Uh, and I got to tell you, watching this film, I, I don't know that I agree with it. I get he's not funny like Jeff Goldblum, uh, who I guess, a was an actor who was also up for this role. But he does have this really wry, dry sense of humor. Um, yeah. You know, he is not just a straight man. Um, He has a sense of humor. Like I've talked about. I always my go to for actors, you know, it's dramatic versus comedic uh, comedic is Robert De Niro, who Robert De Niro can do drama and he's terrible at comedy. I I don't I don't know that he's Robin Williams funny or Tom Hanks funny, but he certainly pull out a a, a sort of a sly, sarcastic humor. Uh, So even that I think he did very well. And even like History of Violence, there there is definitely humor oh, for sure. in the way he plays that part, isn't there?
1: Oh, big time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, an accidental tourist. He
2: was funny, I
1: felt, too. Um, and and all in all, uh, he was like, one of my favorite actors back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, I always loved him. And, and that's actually the reason why i watched the miniseries dune was because i heard he was in it so that was specifically because of him you know and i found out it was a small role but and that was the beginning of his character acting time frame but but um that's how much i liked him he he was when people asked me who's my favorite actor back in those days william Hurt was always number two after robert duvall you know so he was he was he was awesome in my opinion I, i loved all his work um back in those days Um, And I actually rented Kiss of the Spider Woman um, from Blockbuster, specifically because of William Hurt, you know, so um, films that most people would not even bother seeing. I I was a fan of certain actors back then, and
2: and I would watch films because of it. Um, That's saying something, because he never showed his boobs.
1: Well, you know, uh, Jane Fonda, she only sh- she showed her boobs pretty much in Barbarella and I still watched all her films too because she was my favorite actress back in those days as well, so. Uh but she was good. she was she didn't have to show anything except her face. She was pretty hot. So, um but yeah, yeah um, uh as as a, as men go, not actresses Mike, as men go, uh, he he was he was the guy, he was he was the dude. The the accidental tourist made me uh, become a huge fan of him because again, that I love that book anyway. And he was cast perfectly as the lead from the book. And, um, and, and it makes sense too, because the same director as well. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about the director and, and his co-star as a matter of fact, too, because, uh, his co-star, uh, this was the role that her first role and she became a superstar, um, after that. Um, All right. Anything else anybody wanted to bring up about William Hurt? How about you, Sean?
3: Uh, I was just going to say, I can't remember if you guys have said it already, but if you haven't seen Gorky Park, it is a really good movie. And I think that came out in like 1983.
0: Yeah, that that was was, one of the um... first
3: movies I saw with him. Yeah.
2: I'm looking here. It was it was early. It was like one of his first four. Yeah, 1983. He's
1: you're
3: absolutely right.
2: It was right. Uh, five. It was his fifth film. It was right after Big Chill. So it goes: Altered State, Eyewitness. And I don't know anything about Eyewitness. So I haven't heard That's
1: and Sigourney Weaver, I think. Uh, it's a
2: t- and it's Neil
1: Arthur or something like
2: that. Right, and then that was also '81 with Body Heat, and then Big Chill, and then Gorky Park, both released in 1983, and then Kiss of the Spider Woman is 1985.
1: Right, and it doesn't surprise me that uh, Jeff Goldblum was up for this role as well because uh, Goldblum and
3: Hurt were two actors this director
1: consistently used in, in many of his films, uh, and they were buddies. Um, it,
3: would, it would be a very different film if it was Jeff Goldblum.
2: <laughs> yes, yeah. it would. Um, I think Hurt is perfect in this because you need a certain type a- of character for the, for, I think, for the ending to work. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't know that Goldblum would have worked well in that particular role. Does that make any? I, and but I don't want to spoil anything if for some reason you have not seen this, uh, 40 year old film. Right. Which, well, you know,
1: what is interesting about this film? And again, we haven't even said the title of the film is that film noirs, which this is, uh, uh a pseudo film noir, you know, throwback, um, when we were born, Mike, Film noirs were only about um, 25 years or so prior to our birth. This film now is 41 years from today. So it just shows you how old this film is and how old we are, because we would look at femme fatales and film noirs when we were in our you know, preteen years and think they were wicked old. And yet this film, we don't think is wicked old, even though it is wicked old now.
2: All right. Well, I I thought it was weird. Uh, I got to call, I'm going to call bullshit on it a little bit. Uh, And uh, knowing full well, that I'm speaking completely out of my ass. Uh, And then I'm also using Wikipedia as a source here. But uh, I mean, I know noirs. I've seen a lot of noirs. By no means have I seen them all exhaustively uh, I've always kind of been a fan of the genre, I think. But uh, it was like basically neo-noir, the original noirs, I think they have going until like the mid to late 50s. And then the first neo-noirs they have starting in 1960. It's like if you have just like three year gap between the last noir and the first neo-noir, I, I don't, I think there's a problem there. And I also think, you know, it's, we've had now neo-noirs going from 1960 to 2020 that's that's 60 years worth of neo noir i think the neo has to get dropped at some point yeah um not not to mention i saw inclusion on the the wikipedia list of neo noir films uh like including things like 12 monkeys which i thought was silly that
1: doesn't um, make any sense at all yeah no I um
2: i, I mean <laughs> yeah, just, just because a film has a voiceover and a nihilistic ending it doesn't make it uh i don't think that, noir, to me yeah. and, and film noir or a neo-noir uh so i think they were doing very loose definitions because my curiosity was this is obviously a noir film this is like you you can't listen to the dialogue between kathleen turner and william hurt and not think that this is a neo-noir that this is a noir film that you can't uh imagine uh you know, like something like Tracy and Hepburn ex- exchanging some of those lines of dialogue, right? Um, in some sort of uh, pot boiler back in the fifties. So it's it's very obvious that's what it is. And I was wondering if this was like one of the first neo noirs. And I guess some people have claimed it's like the first self conscious neo noir. And right? that was what it was trying to do. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, Robert yeah. Altman's "Long Goodbye" was a was a kind of a neo noir, but it was also yeah. a tongue in cheek version.
1: Uh, "Grifters" um, with um, with uh, Michael uh, what the hell, who's that chick? That's uh, Annette Benning. The Grifters, and then um, you, I Sean,
2: nineties ben- or late eighties.
1: Yeah, that, that yeah, that's true. And then Sean, you mentioned one that was old uh, around that time too. Offline to me, uh, uh, the the one with Denise Richards and.
3: Oh and, wild yeah. things
1: from ninety seven or ninety eight. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah. So so yeah, this was well, and then even around this time, right? Dress to kill, but that that was trying to say it was more like a erotic thrill I don't know what that would be called, but
2: Oh, well, I could that, definitely see the Palma doing a doing a that that's uh as a noir film. Yeah, um, yeah. But it also touched on a lot of other things. I mean certainly body heat's an erotic thriller, but there was always an eroticism to uh, a lot of Noirs. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, right, I mean because yeah. the whole point is the the film, Fatale and all that other stuff that goes with it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if the film was the real film was the, the originals, the ones with way back in the '40s and '50s, um, if those films were made in the '70s, they would have had the nudity and the sex and and stuff that that this film here that we're going to discuss oh, had. Yeah. So, um, and and you know, Quentin Tarantino said something that was interesting and yet stupid at the same time where he said that someone like Alfred Hitchcock wasn't the great filmmaker that everybody said because he was in the wrong time period which makes no sense but i see his point too which is if he was in the 70s and 80s instead of the 50s and 60s and 40s and 30s then yeah he would have used um, things that de palma and stuff were and scorsese were able to do that he couldn't because of the their um the Hollywood laws of or whatever for films back before and so forth. Um, anyway, uh, uh, anything else we wanted to talk about before we introduce the film? Anything? All right, well, mm-hmm. so let's all right, so let's introduce the film here. And so, uh, Mike, uh,
2: what is that film that we're going to discuss tonight? So, the film we're watching is the aforementioned Body Heat, um, which is a noir thriller, um. The the, there is, the the Wikipedia entry kind of sucks, and the IMDb entry isn't that much better, but the poster, the poster, I think, really does a, a good job. And so here's the original, uh, the caption on the poster. It's a hot wiki, summer. Wiki. Oh, wiki wiki. It's a hot summer. Ned Racine is waiting for something special to happen, and when it does, he won't be ready for the consequences. Body heat. As the temperature rises, the suspense begins.
1: There you go. Now, uh, before we continue, let's listen to the trailer.
0: It's hot in Miranda Beach this summer, and Ned Racine is waiting waiting for something special to happen in his life i'm really disappointed in you were seen. i've been living vicariously off of you for years you shut up on me now i only have my wife There's nothing to tell of a lonely life and then something special does happen you're not too smart are you <laughs> i like that in a man what else do you like lazy ugly horny. i got them all you don't look lazy <laughs> about her, except what I've seen. My temperature runs a couple of degrees high, around 100. I don't mind. The engine or something. Maybe you need a tune-up. Don't tell me. You have just the right tool. But Ned Racine isn't ready for what happens next.
1: When it gets out, people try to kill each
3: other. Pretty soon, people think the old rules are not in effect. It's about to break them, thinking about your care, because it's emergency time. Time out. No, Ned, please don't. Don't talk about
0: it. Talk is dangerous. Sometimes it makes things happen. It makes
1: them real. Ned, you've messed up before, and you'll mess up again. It's your nature. But they've always been small time.
0: And this might not be. Hurt, Kathleen Turner, and Richard Crenna, in Body Heat, the temperature rises, the suspense begins.
1: All right, so Body Heat, Uh, it actually jump-started a number of folks' careers. Uh, as as mentioned, uh, William Hurt um, became a leading man because of this film. This was the film that made him a superstar. Kathleen Turner, his co-star, this was, this was her first film, and this was the film that made her a superstar. Um, and, yeah, she went on similar to William Hurt, where she had, like, the 80s and 90s, where she had a great uh, run of films as a leading lady, and uh, whatnot. Roger Ebert listed this film as one of his greatest films of all time, Body Heat. Um, the film also uh, jump-started the career uh, as a director um, and really jumped started his career because prior to this he had only done uh, two writing credits. Uh, but this is Lawrence Kasdan's uh, film directorial debut um, and he was already known uh, in Hollywood for writing or co-writing The Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Lost Ark and then this was the film that he directed that made him a, a superstar because then he went on and uh, did The Big Chill and the Accidental Tourist and Grand Canyon among others and then of course he, he wrote uh, Return of the Jedi um, and uh, The Bodyguard, Wyatt Earp and on and on
3: um, so one well, part is that uh Raiders of the Lost Ark came out two months before body heat.
1: Oh there you go about that. yeah, so uh I guess uh having uh George Lucas and Steven Spielberg as your friend uh was able to get him um some- uh, someone to bank a film that he wrote and directed, which is uh body heat,
0: yeah, one of the uh, things
2: I read was um I be- guess like basically Lucas without his knowledge underwrote the film so that if he went over budget or something he wouldn't have to worry about the losses. Uh Luke's body had it heat. Covered. Oh,
1: that's 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 pretty cool. That's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's I mean, a stand up yeah. move. It sure is a stand up move. It yeah. sure seems like it. Yeah, yeah, sure it does. And uh the film actually uh body heat it's uh let's see what it says here. It says it made, budgeted budget of nine million and made twenty four million, which um was pretty good um and then of course when roger ebert says even at the time one of the best films of the year one of the best films of all time um that that obviously helps big time
2: it um, to be fair roger ebert was a big boob guy
1: he sure was he sure was and uh kathleen turner um, shows off her boobs quite well a lot. Actually, more than that in this film, and so yeah, Robert Ewart would would give it two stars just for that fact.
2: Oh yeah, uh, I'm, I'm probably three. I mean, he's the guy who liked the original Tomb Raider, right? So
1: yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. And he liked it not just because it was a fun popcorn film. He liked it for
2: well, it Angelina Jolie's. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, All right. So the film came out August 28th, 1981. Uh, It's an hour and 13 minutes, most certainly an hour rated film. Uh, Definitely has that overlap of 70s film style that uh, where excessive violence or excessive nudity uh, were rampant. uh, A time when films didn't have uh, Hollywood saying you can't do it anymore, but also before society said they were woke and you can't do that anymore. Well, so, that wasn't
2: woke. That was AIDS. AIDS kind of put a damper on the the sex part of the films. Um that that really put a a a hurting on it because it was like, oh, we you're going to going to show sex in films, you better have a condom. Um and and that kind of takes some of the romance out of that like the 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 heat of the moment. Uh, I can't imagine this film would have been a whole lot more enjoyable if William Hurt had to put on a condom every time he's seen with uh, Kathleen Turner.
1: Right. Well, and that's interesting. You brought that up because Sean mentioned something about that offline, which
2: I, I, it never occurred to me
1: until you brought it up, Sean, but we'll talk about that when we get into uh, talking more about the film and, uh, and Mike, has already kind of alluded to that, which is curious. Um, But um, yeah, that could be true. Mike, uh, um, but it was, it was the time before all that stuff. Um, so I guess we can get into, uh, how we heard about this film and what we thought about this film. So, uh, and when's the first time you've seen the film? So, uh, Mike, uh, for those three questions, what do you got?
2: Uh, the first time I saw the film was two nights ago. Um, and I liked it a lot. Uh, I wasn't Sure what it was going to be or where it was going to go um, at first. And, you know, it's like I said, once you hear the dialogue between the two of them, you know exactly what kind of movie it is. Um, but I liked it quite a bit. Uh, you know, it's hard to get away from Kathleen Turner and Kathleen Turner. You know, if, if sex had a voice, it would be Kathleen Turner's.
1: Well, it that's true, Mike, because she did the voice of Jessica
2: Rabbit. Absolutely. And she's the sexiest bunny ever.
3: Indeed. And didn't she not get along with Lawrence Kasdan or something? I thought I read something about that, but then she was still – he still cast her in Roger Rabbit?
1: Well, he also cast her in uh, Accidental Tourist, so I, I can't believe those those things are true. But you never know, because I know like Megan Fox, she got in an argument with the guy that did the teenage – Michael Bay. The, the, yeah, Michael Bay, but then they became buddies again like five years later, so it, you never know. You never know, but either way, it has used her multiple times, um, but continue, Mike, I'm sorry. Uh,
2: so, yeah, and it's, I didn't see where it was going, um, I mostly really enjoyed the performances, I thought were good, it's got some fun moments. Uh, Ted Danson is in it, in a role that I think he has a lot of fun with, and he's it's weird, Ted Danson isn't a guy I normally think of as having a lot of range. You know, he's a TV actor. We knew him from like Sam and Cheers and then Becker, I guess, which I never really watched. Uh, and more recently, he was doing The Good Place. But he, he's got a fun role here as a prosecutor. And I just see him, and he's like literally dancing whenever something happens that's in his favor. Um, and I got a kick out of that. You have um, uh, what the hell is the guy's name? Mickey Rourke, and the wrestler. Mickey Rourke in a very small role, but yeah, I just think it's a solid film. Oh, and uh, Richard Crenna. Yep, yep. You know, from you know, in his pre-Rambo days. Yeah. Yep, uh, yep. I also thought you know is is kind of fun in his role as the uh, as the husband. So yeah, I think it's a solid film. I think it's a solid thriller. I think the less you know going into it, the better. Uh, oh, and by the way, there was I guess uh, the. Uh, Alan Ladd, because <laughs> it starts out, it's a Ladd production, and I haven't seen a Ladd production film, and I can't tell you how long, and so there's a sort of nostalgia as you get older about seeing these old film companies, yep, yep. and their logos pop up, and the Ladd production is this tree that looks like uh, it's being uh, scanned in by a Apple tree. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yep. But anyway, Alan Ladd Jr., I guess, was founded the company. This was only like their second or third film. He didn't want
0: yeah,
1: he, he, he was a big producer for a while. But anyway, yeah, continue.
2: He, yeah he had want, been with Fox. I'm pretty sure he was involved in like Planet of the Apes, but he didn't want he didn't want Hurt uh, to have the mustache because it made him look sleazy. And I guess Kaz didn't refused to let him shave it off. And I gotta be honest, that that's important because the character is sleazy. You know, he needs yes. that point. <laughs> it makes the character. So yep, yep. yeah, I liked it. I would, I would definitely give it a recommend. Right. Right.
1: Okay. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I think it was you, Sean, that mentioned offline that he had a pawn stash. It was either you or Barrett.
3: Someone's. Yeah. I had like this. He was rocking the stash. So good.
1: <laughs> yeah. So anyway. All right. So for me, for me, uh, how I heard about this film. Well, I heard about the film because it had Kathleen Turner and William Hurt in it. And like I said, Kathleen Turner and William Hurt <laughs> were, were two of my favorite uh, actors and actresses of that era anything they were in that was PG or PG 13, I immediately watched. So I saw all of Kathleen Turner's films. I saw all Williams hurts films back in those days. And then when I hit 18, uh, I was able to go back and, and see um, the other films. And as Mike mentioned, uh, Kathleen Turner, uh, if, if there's a definition of sex or sex pot, um, she was it. William, I uh, don't Hurt, Uh, Roger Ebert even stated this, that um, that he felt that's what she was. Uh, she used her physicality and sexual appeal uh, as much as her acting ability in all her roles and uh, most certainly made her, uh, rightfully so, a star. Um, so I, I went back and I got to see uh, the films that I couldn't see, uh, like Altered States, this film um, – uh, uh the one with her and uh um Anthony Perkins in it, uh Crimes of Passion, uh which I think is a De Palma film or no or David Lynch film. It's, it's one of those. Um and various other films. Um and um I saw this I think Actually, I was in my 20s when I was living on – I bought my house, and I was I was watching it when I uh, watched, like, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the first time. Uh, but either way, um, yeah, it's a fabulous film, uh, excellent film. When when we were discussing what film to do and Eric didn't want to do altered states, uh, I immediately – And he bailed
2: out on us anyway.
1: Yeah, he bailed out on us anyway. I immediately threw this film out as a suggestion because it is a thrower, and it's a, it's a great film as well. Um Oddly, uh, Dan Lynch, uh, I asked him to see if he wanted to join for this film, but he wasn't a fan of this film. I was quite sh- shocked. It seemed like a film that I thought he would have liked. Uh, he said we should have done Altered states. But um, either way, uh, yeah, this is a great film. I recommend uh, anybody who uh, loves thrillers, um, throwback films and whatnot, should definitely see it. And if you want to see two actors in their prime, actually, when they became – superstars, uh, this is definitely the film uh, that should be on the list as well. Um, and uh throwback of two, two great um, performers that are, uh, one has unfortunately passed and the other um, has pretty much retired. Uh, so I recommend Uh Let's go with you, Sean. Uh, when did you uh, see this film for the first time? How did you hear about this film and what did you think?
3: Okay. Well, I saw the movie last night for the first time in my life. Because uh, when it came out in 1981, I was five years old, and I'm pretty sure my parents would not have taken me to see it. I was lucky enough that my parents took me to see Raiders of the Lost Ark <laughs> in 1981. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so you had mentioned it last night about checking it out, and I, I don't know, I just, I don't know, I never was drawn to watch it. Not that I have anything against the actors or the cast, but it just, I don't know, I, I don't know, it just never drew me. It's one of those um, generic.
2: Titles that me and Mike always talk about, right, Mike? Right. And by the way, when that came out, I would have been eleven or ten, uh, and I would have thought it was some sort of gushy romancy kind of film, and never would have been yes. a second thought, right?
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it 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 has a kitschy '80s feel to it for sure, um, and it's enjoyable. It's an enjoyable watch. Just more, even just for the time, the time that it's set, and especially like watching it now in 2022, and just with all the movies that have come after it, I think it would have been a much more powerful movie in 1981 if you had not seen all the stuff that came after and kind of maybe piggybacked or was like inspired, like even like mentioning for me, I thought it was like Wild Things was what I thought of that was like. Must have had at least some kind of inspiration from that.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Same, um, same, same, same but, uh, area of the country, you know, Florida. But it,
3: it was, like, fun seeing the cast because, like, I like Mickey Rourke. And, like, one of the first things I got to see him in was Rumblefish because of the S.E. Hinton books and stuff. Um So it was kind of see a role before that and getting to see um, Richard Crenna, was cool because again like you would, i think mentioned mike he would be in rambo like the next year so and that's where i would have known him from and then also from uh because i don't know if you guys ever listened to old-time radio shows but richard Crenna, as a young lad was in armis brooks both the radio huh. and the tv show
1: used to play a lot of world war ii films too yeah. I remember him playing like a sub captain in some film as well. Yeah.
3: So, anyway, was, yep. yeah. so it was cool with that. And even just like a small character role that, well, Ted Danson was fun to see too. Um, but even I think I mentioned with you, uh, Phil, offline was uh, Tom Sharp, who has like a small role in this movie. But I know him because he did a bunch of uh, commercials up here in Canada for Goodyear and Michelin tires in the uh, early 2000s. So it was just kind of funny seeing him in the role because I was not expecting that. So for me, I don't was, think he's I, Canadian,
1: is
3: he? No, he's from Michigan, I believe. Yeah, so yeah. he must have some kind of ties there. So, but it was just funny. So, um, but yeah, no, I enjoyed it. It was very interesting. Uh, just where was it going to go? And the ending wasn't what I was expecting, which I was happy with. And um, I have a theory that I want to throw out after once we get the spoilers and stuff. So. Well, just remind me about that, but um, I enjoyed it. I think it's it's a good watch, and I wouldn't say it's like my most favorite film but it was. I'm glad I got to see it and just see these, you know, because William Hurt's a great actor and was a great actor. Sorry, and Kathleen Turner. I was no, I knew her initially from *Romancing a Stone*.
0: Yeah, one. because
3: I would have been like she, 1984, so I would have been but eight. I, I saw I got that. To see it. It. I saw it a number of times. I saw that. Like three. Yeah. Right. I saw that, and then Jewel of the Nile. Right. So that was like where I saw Kathleen Turner. So yep. I didn't have the same attachment. Peggy of her Sue being got a married.
1: Se- Peggy Sue got married.
3: And I didn't have the Let's attachment of her being a sex pot in it. Right. So it was just. <laughs> I was just. She was just fun adventure lady. So. <laughs> yep. um well, there
1: was some sex, sexiness in that film, though, because when they fall into the water and he falls between her legs and stuff, it was kind of funny. But yeah, but I was a little cutesy. Yeah, it's innuendo, innuendo.
2: <laughs> yeah. And so. and now it has a. I mean, it's a film that just came out with Sandra Bullock that isn't yes, a, a remake, but yeah. boy, it sure feels like a remake.
0: <laughs>
2: right.
3: So, it, you always come back to the the, the ideas that worked. Sometime, right? So.
0: Um, yep,
3: but yeah, so the, I enjoyed it and, um, I'm like interested to get to chat more about it. So I will let you guys have the floor again.
0: All
1: right. Sounds good. So, um, yeah, I, I also forgot one thing too. Um, when I did watch the film, um, not only because of Kathleen Turner and William Hurt, but of course, because of Lawrence Cast and I know a lot of people like him because of the Star Wars stuff, but, um, I was a huge fan Ed of Raiders him. Yeah, and Raiders. Yep. But I was a huge fan of him because of Accidental Tourist. Um, again, that was – like I was more into dramas than anything back uh, in the day and cast and because of that one film. Uh, and again, by my favorite author of that time, Ann Tyler. I read everything by her, everything. And um, uh, that film just rocked. And uh, it had four – it was four people that were like – my favorite in the arts: Anne Tyler, Lawrence Kasdan, William Hurt, and Kathleen Turner. And then, of course, um, you, you know, me and Mike always talk about uh, Gina Davis too. Uh, so that that film was just great. And Bill Palmer I mean, that's a different film, so we don't have to talk about that. But either way, um, that could be a topic for a Cinema a la carte at some point. But either way. Um, We can get into some other things. So uh, folks who are new to the podcast or those that aren't, uh, what we do here at Dark Discussions, we don't just uh, review films, but we do
2: critique. We talk about boobs
1: and dissect. And, yeah, we'll be talking a little bit about that in this film, for sure. Kathleen Turner, right? Uh, But uh, we, we talk about everything and anything, so we break down specific scenes and and symbolisms and all that other stuff so yeah if you haven't seen the film we do spoil the hell out of it but we'll throw out the spoiler alert at some point um but not just yet uh we'll talk about just general stuff uh prior to uh that even though we did talk about a lot of kathleen turner william hurt Laurence and Skazden, and phil noir even before talking about our thoughts on this film. So maybe that'll be a shorter thing and we'll get into uh, the spoilers pretty quick. But uh, until we do get into the spoilers, uh, we can talk general stuff. Um,
3: I have a question for you guys.
1: Okay, here we go. Yep.
3: Okay. So when I started watching this, the initial title sequence visually and musically reminded me of a James Bond movie I had not seen. And then I went and saw that John Barry actually did the music who, yep. of course did James Bond from the '60s to '87, I think. Yep. So I just thought that was a very interesting way to start. <laughs> I was just yep. i just waiting for James Bond to appear.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, there was a couple other things too, like Basic Instinct, that film, which just actually had its 40th anniversary or 45th or something like that. Because, uh, uh, but either because way, that, that was
2: that because we're old.
1: Yeah, yeah, right, right. Actually I think it's thirty fifth. But uh it's still that makes us old. Uh that film kinda did the same thing as this film here, where you see like bodies and maybe naked bodies but you really can't see. It and, and, and like you said, it's like a James Bondish type type of uh avant garde credit sequence. Um and then there's a lot of jazz in the film too, which is a throwback to uh, uh that type of film as well. Um so yeah, yeah. You, I mean, when, the criticisms when it did come out, and, and Ebert would, would trash everybody that attacked this film back when it did, and there was only a few. It wasn't many, but they, a lot of people said, "Oh, it's not original. It's a it's a copy of Double Indemnity and all these other film noirs from way back." Um, Greta Graham and and um, Uh, uh, the uh, what's the one? The the one that used to actually work with Alan Ladd and all those films, Veronica Lake. That's it, and all the rest. You know, she's you know, there's nothing original about this film, you know. And Ebert just you know put his fist down and said, "That's the point. It's uh, it's it's trying to you know, similar to like Star Wars. It's not original, you know, but it has things in it that make it awesome, you know." I mean, there's
2: there's the shot where the classic shot, you know, where the uh the guy walks into his office and the femme fatale is there lit by the blinds. And you know, and that's, you see that with, they do that with Kathleen Turner here. They did it with her again. in who framed Roger rabbit, right? Where Eddie walks into, I think walks into the, uh, his office and Jessica rabbits waiting for him. Um, And I don't know if that was specifically intended to homage that introduction here, but it is a generic film noir thing to see that. The dialogue is so so heavy in film noir, but it's yeah. also a very stylized – and actually, really, it's the dialogue just between William Hurt and Kathleen Turner. Um,
1: right.
2: But it is so stylized, and that kind of dialogue had very much fallen out of favor by the time he got into the 1980s. You're still
1: there, Mike? You lost also- Mike, uh, we can't hear you right now. Let me pause it until we get. Sorry, I got it. No, I got uh, it.
2: Sorry, the cat, uh, the cat. I figured it was that on the. Uh, sat, sat, cat sat on the cat trouble. Set cat set on the mute button, which was oh, not one of my favorite Doctor Seuss books. Anyway, uh, so continue, Mike. So, so like I said, I think that's very much a case of some people just didn't get the film, and as you point out, the Noirs really had not.
3: Did he drop again?
2: I think we have, yeah oh, Mike, yeah. Right, yeah, go it's ahead again. again. Oh my God, right. how
0: did... <laughs> sure. right. anyway' so I, said,
2: can... so I was saying, so maybe by that point, the, the, the nostalgia hadn't quite been there yet for the for the neo-noirs or for the film noirs. Um, although you would get like um, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid just a couple of years later, right? And that was a... Uh, That's right, a comedy. Yeah. That was, I, I, actually, actually it,
1: it was a... a uh, a tribute to film noir. Yeah, it was absolutely
2: yeah. a tribute to and actually I forgot you had uh just a year or two later you had um The Man with Two Brains, which also had a weird homage to that with to the to the genre. Uh and also starring Kathleen Turner.
1: Kathleen Turner, that's right.
2: <laughs> uh but yeah, anyhow. Um yeah, I, I think it's just I I don't get it. I don't get the criticisms. I was reading the again the Wikipedia entry on critical reception. Talked about that it was well received critically, but all the criticisms it quotes are negative criticisms, uh, specifically ones that like trashed Kathleen Turner, and it's just like they they didn't seem. If you're, you're citing that, it's good reviews. Why are you cherry picking the bad reviews?
1: And how, how could anybody? Pick on Kathleen Turner for this role—that's that, ridiculous. I mean, she was well. Wrong.
2: They were both women, so I think the sex appeal uh, might, might have been lost on them. Um, and one was like basically criticizing her for you know she's as being a soap opera actress, which she had been uh, in a short. Yeah, you know, she had done a short stint on a. I guess is a like forgotten soap opera.
1: Yeah, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of people start.
2: Oh yeah, uh, nobody did, but that was that was sort of the thing. It was that that was from the one criticism. But it was just weird that maybe they were just like the noted critics at the time and that's why they used them as opposed to everyone else. But yeah, it was it was a well reviewed film. It was a successful film. Uh so and really having that kind of blatant neuroticism in a film, you know, you weren't that long past the Hayes code and the invention of the studios not the, the the studio rating system, the MPAA, right, which really didn't hit until a very late 60s, I think, or maybe early 70s. Yeah, 60s,
1: 60, 69, I think it was. 60.
2: So, because uh, Midnight Cowboy, right, was like the first.
1: That's exactly
2: movie, the film. Yep, that's release. One of the best films ever. Oh. So you couldn't have done a film like this, I don't think. You had it to be a lot more coy about it prior to 1969, which is only 12 years earlier.
1: That's right. Yeah, exactly. so I think
2: the no, there was a novelty to this that you know you wouldn't have gotten. You wouldn't have seen a lot of films that were that blatant about its sexuality.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, exactly. And um, and uh, I was going to say that uh, with s- such mainstream stars, but the mainstream stars were created because of the film. So it just shows you the power of uh, of um,
2: and it makes me wonder, because they are very, uh, they blatantly talk about a blowjob. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure. Was that a thing that, you know, that you would mention in films before that point? Um, let alone showing somebody in media res, you know, in the middle of the act? Yeah, that's a good question. And then have a conversation uh-huh. about it afterwards? Yeah, you know, to having a conversation about Williams' little hurt, you know.
1: Um. Yeah, so uh, you know, um, may- maybe there were other films, you know, but again, we none of us were 18 at the time, um, and and unless you're a great film from a prior era, you know, those films are just you know, th- forgotten and thrown into the trash heap or are or, or considered good films, but are just forgotten. You know, we, we talk about a lot of great films that aren't remembered, you know, but they
2: were huge back in the day, you know, like War Games um, or Romancing the Stone. When were the hell, uh, was yeah. the last time you heard somebody mention Romancing the Stone? And in the 80s, that would be mentioned in the same breath as a film like, Like Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? It was an adventure film, and it was at Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner and Danny DeVito, and those were big names back then. Yep, yep. Um, and and and
1: the film got good reviews, and it was it was uh, well received, and and it made money. Um, It was a a big summer film, so you're you're absolutely right, Mike. You're absolutely right.
2: Right, and and it's not like uh, oh. Uh, was I thinking of. Um, you know, Back to the Future, which I think might have been the same year, you know, which of course is a fantastic film, but has a lot of love to it and nostalgia to it that you don't hear with about like Romancing the Stone.
1: That's true, that's true.
2: Yeah, and speaking of uh, Romancing the Stone, Danny
1: DeVito, um, yeah, when Danny DeVito directed, um, War of the Roses, which I saw at the theaters uh, multiple times, because it was Kathleen Turner, and um, that film... Douglas. I'm sorry? And Michael Douglas. Yeah, Michael Douglas, and that's what I was about to say, so DeVito brought those two back uh, for that film, you know, obviously probably met them through um, Romancing the
2: Stone. Um, so, well, DeVito probably met, because, uh, met him through uh, Cuckoo's Nest. Because that was produced by Michael Douglas. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true.
1: Good point. Good point. Yeah, so they they went way back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because people forget that D- Douglas, he was huge. Um, uh, one of my favorite television shows back in the day was uh, Streets of San Francisco. And oh, then, that one. <laughs> and then, and then he he did uh, uh, the uh, Michael Crichton throw a, a coma, and then he did. Uh, the China Syndrome of Jane Fonda, you know, so so I was going to see a lot. I saw a lot of his films, too, because, you know, Jane Fonda and Michael Crichton and, you know, I'm going to see all that stuff. So Kathleen Turner and on and on. Uh, but again, let's get back to this film here. Um, so, Sean. Uh, yeah, you're right. So uh, Barry uh, did did uh, the soundtrack for this one. Um, and and yeah, I could see like you said about the, the James Bond feel to some of the music. Uh, but but then then it also uh, re- went really deep into the jazz too, um, and I think that was intentional because I don't remember jazz being really popular like in the '80s like that. But it was trying to get the feel of an older film, you know, wink nod, and and I think that's why they used a lot of the jazz track to it too. But.
2: Right. Just. Oh, were total, yeah, that would have been the era of the Star Wars soundtrack, right? So,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, of
2: the lush orchestras, and I mean, obviously, you're not doing Star Wars for body heat, right? but right. leaning heavy into the saxophone.
1: Right, just like Taxi Driver, which was uh, Bernard Herrmann, he, that was all jazzy, too, you know, with the saxophone, you know, and, and that film, uh, this film has kind of that feel, even though it's a, like six years later, but but um. The, the you know that was a big thing in the '60s and then even earlier than that. So uh, the saxophone and the jazz and stuff. So um, it helps give it the throwback feel, you know. Um, but you were saying something, Mike. I, I kind of interjected. No, there. I wasn't. Okay. Um, let's sure. let's see what else. Anything else that we wanted to talk about that's not spoiler um about the film or, or the people that were in the film or anything like that.
3: I think I mentioned with you, uh, Phil, just that I think William Hurt was 31 when this came out. Yeah. yeah. And Kathleen Turner was 27. I actually thought Kathleen Turner was younger. So I was surprised. I thought she was in her early twenties for this. So I was surprised to find out that she was 27.
1: Yeah. Let's see. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yep. Absolutely. Right. So she started a little later you know, for, for her career. Cause she, she, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of actresses that are big, they start when they're like 21 or, or 22, you know, and, and she started 27 was when she got this first big role. This is her first film. So yeah, that is kind of interesting.
3: Very interesting. And actually. I, and I know this is probably just me in the vibe that I had, but it also felt like this movie was sort of could have been like a movie of the week because there were spots where I felt I could have put commercials (laughs) cutting between the scenes, and I'm not dissing it, it's just that's what it kind of reminded me of, and maybe because it it maybe came on later (laughs) in the the late 80s or something. Well, well, go ahead on channels or whatever, but.
1: No, you go, Mike.
2: I was going to say, it might also be, I don't know if this was a film that was made for, I mean, that wasn't made for TV, but was made with TV in mind, uh, but I certainly know there were a lot of films back then where you would see those fade to blacks, and they kind of feel yeah. ready made for the commercial placement. Because yeah. what happens, you you go in your theater for a couple of months, and then a year or two years later, you're the ABC movie of the week. Yep. Yeah. And so if you if you have those nice spots for those edits, you know, yep. and they and they, and that was a very big part of the business back then. And you'd have, you know, they'd say, oh, well, the film is. Is only this long, so we have to uh, you know, record a scene just for TV to pad it out to the two hours uh, to fill that Sunday night movie slot, and or we're going to have to film an alternate take of this because right.
1: with w- her in a bikini
2: instead of naked, bikini instead of naked, or we have to say you know something other than fuck because that won't fly, and and the networks didn't like beeping. So you would have an alternate dialogue take, um, and,
1: and it would be it would great be-
3: because the voice would never sound the same; <laughs> it would totally sound wrong.
1: Right. Well. Well. No, but they, what they would do is they they would just film a, an entirely different scene, or or the same scene over but with different dialogue. So, it it does fit, and uh, you know because like for Halloween that movie and the Breakfast Club. There you can get extended cuts of the film, and what those extended cuts of the film are really are is they just added back all the, the TV scenes that were filmed specifically for the Sunday night movie of The Week that were going to replace scenes that were R-rated.
0: You know? oh, yeah, I'm thinking it's, like it's,
3: something it, like uh, Die Hard. Because when, when Die Hard was on TV, where he has his like very familiar saying, and it would be, Yippee-ki-yay, yippee-ki-yay. <laughs> So that's right, so it, it, it
2: all depended on the film and they all handled it a little differently. Some did alternate yeah. takes, some did alternate dialogue and they just would dub it over and then some would just drop it as sound and yep. it would, and would go to silent for a second rather than doing the obnoxious yippee yeah. beep," you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, well,
1: like, like I know like the breakfast club, um, the scene where they're smoking the dope, that's completely cut out for the television version. And then they replaced it with them, uh g- going to a the vending machines for tv and so if you watch the theatrical cut you get the the dope scene but you don't get the vending machine scene while it, or, or or whatever it was and then if you get the extended cut they just put both they just merge them all together and you get both the tv and the the the, the um theatrical cut um but what happens is to, make, to pad out that two hours where they cut out five minutes because of the dope scene, they put in the vending machine scene on uh, the TV version. But Mike is right. They, they do all different things. They like they shut off the sound and, and so on. Yeah.
2: Uh, exactly. Speaking of extended cuts, so, Phil, you have the DVD for this? Yes. Right, 4K, whatever. Or Blu-ray. Um, yeah. yeah. Do did, did they have the alternate
1: cut of this? Uh, I don't know if there's an alternate cut, but there there is like six or seven deleted scenes on it.
2: Um, well, because it there was a, they they did an early, uh, they did a screening of this, I, I think maybe at a film festival or something, and that screening apparently was steamier. Like it had a lot more nudity in it and a lot more sex scenes in it, and all of which, a lot of which was cut back for the final theatrical release, and I guess hasn't been seen since. Oh, interesting. Um, and, and, and the argument, I guess, is that um, yes, it, and I do kind of tend to agree with. Is that you know, when you're really going for sexy, especially if you're doing an, an homage to film noir, uh, less is more. So that, that certainly makes some sense to me. But right. uh, that I could also see that be, you know, rated R is more money than rated X. So, sure. Oh, I, right, I'm just right. wondering. All these films are films that I've, you know, my whole life that there's been you know, stories about the the missing extended cut or the director's cut that have all made it out. I was wondering if that was the case here.
1: Yeah, no, no. Uh, it says it's, uh, it doesn't say if it is the theatrical or otherwise here. Uh, but it's an hour and thirteen minutes, so I'm thinking it's the theatrical version. Uh, but there is, like I said, six, or seven scenes, deleted scenes that I didn't watch, um, and they may be the the extra newsy, so I'm have to check that out. Oh, but um, yeah. Uh, nowadays, as as you know, Mike, a lot of times they purposely go for the unrated, and then they they cut it, release it as R, and then when they go to disc they put all those scenes back in because uh at the theaters it prevents its its larger release but at home everybody wants to see the extended cut because they couldn't see it at the the theaters and so it's actually now a lot of times a marketing thing uh to get the extended cut
2: oh well i mean it's uh, especially big in horror films because yeah the right. unrated cut because the the implication being that they cut out a scene that's just too horrific for theaters. And we had to go when reality, it could just be a scene of somebody sitting down talking with their mom that they cut out for time. And since they didn't submit the new cut for a rating, well, it's, it's technically unrated. Speaking of that,
1: I know body, Hey, not body heat. Uh, uh, we, we already mentioned it. The one with, uh, um, Michael Douglas and, uh, it just had the 35th year anniversary whatever. What was that film I was talking about? Instinct. Instinct?
0: Basically, oh, Basic Basic Instinct.
1: Instinct. yeah, yeah, that one. That one was one of those type of films where it had to be cut down. And then when it went to disc, you get the extended version, which has the sex scene at the beginning. It's longer and it's also more bloody. And the reason that got cut from the theatrical was they didn't want to promote violence during sex. Otherwise, they were going to give it an uh, NC-17 rating. And so they cut it back to get the R rating. And then when they put it on disc, you can get to see the NC-17 rating, which shows more blood and and gore during and more nudity during the sex scene at the beginning. Um, So it wouldn't surprise me here that they had to cut it back. Um, But I didn't know that story, Mike, that this one was cut back because the nudity and sex were were too graphic for a rated R release.
2: Well, I don't know if it was cut back for the rating or what the re- I said what the reason was and it they, you know they certainly make it sound like it was their choice. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's it's hard to say. It's um it's also the fact that like if suddenly it's not like you're going to release that now and you're going to be watching a Ron Jeremy film. Sure. um it's also true that i think a lot of ways you can get away with more today than you could have then so you have to adjust your expectations what would have been racy then won't look nearly as racy in an era of free internet porn right right yeah because
1: back then i remember you know you know, there's all the joke. You know, you can have one f bomb in a PG-13 film. I know back then you could only, and this is a, was a fact, was you could only have two or th- to four pumps by the guy's naked butt before it would be considered NC-17. So you get the four b- pumps, and then boom, they have to cut it right there. So, it maybe maybe there was some scenes in this where they went over the four. You know what I'm saying? For the simulated sex scenes. So, I don't know. Uh, it'll be curious to read more about that. I'll have to do more research later about that, uh, Mike, because I, I did not know there was a another original cut that of the film. It's too funny.
3: I was going to ask you guys, too. Um, I was wondering this as I was watching this last night. Was Do you think this was the precursor to the movies that came later in the 80s, like nine and a half weeks and Fatal Attraction? Like it opened the right. door for them.
2: It didn't hurt. Yeah, right. I think that if yeah, it, I it was, mean, if this movie had bombed, I think it would have been a... fail attraction. Would have been a harder sell. Right, and and as we know, Mike,
1: the '80s were were a big erotic thriller decade. That was like like a huge uh, subgenre, and many of them were were you know lower budget and didn't make. Get huge releases, but were huge on on HBO and, and the video market and stuff. But this was early. This was an eighty one, and it was also a mainstream film too, right? Um, And it was successful. And Roger Ebert promoted it huge back in those days. So it, I, I would agree with you, Mike, that it, it probably didn't hurt the chances for other films like Basic Instinct and in Nine and a Half Weeks, and. It w- which are both completely different genres. And yet they both have the, 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 the their, uh, sexual appeal that, that this film did as well. Right.
2: So. It's sort of like, I mean, I don't think Blade Runner was trying to rip off Star Wars or, or anything, or Star Wars got Blade Runner made, but it sure as made it a lot easier to get Blade Runner made.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause yep. you
2: didn't have to convince the studio suits that, a film like that makes money. Right, right,
0: right.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and and, you know, like we were talking about Romancing the Stone, that film, even though it's very different, um, they used it as part of the marketing to make it sound like it was going to be similar to like uh, Indiana Jones stuff, you know? And so Romancing the Stone was easier to make because of something like Raiders of the Lost Ark, for example. Um. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, uh, your your thoughts on that, Sean, make sense. At
3: least I'm not crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't haven't done any research on it, but but I, I would concur, uh, or feel the same as you do. Yeah. All right. So let's let's just throw out the spoiler anyway. Uh, we may not talk continuously about spoilers, but let's just throw it out because you know we've been recording for about an hour and we can start talking about some of the plot and stuff and what happened. Um, but let me just start it off and just explain what happened. So basically there's this this lawyer who, uh, is in uh, a fictional town, similar to Miami, uh, down in Florida, um, played by William Hurt, uh, Ned Racine. Um, and he is a fuck up. Um, he's had some success and stuff, but, but he's kind of sloppy, um and so he's not as successful as as a uh, regular lawyer that you would think would be successful.
3: Um, I think his mind was on something, not his business. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't. I think a, he did a lot of taking care of business. But yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, so he meets this this uh, woman at some functional event outside, you know, I like to have a, you know, those free plays or something. Um, and she's a looker, uh, played by Kathleen Turner. Uh, any, any heterosexual male would would notice her in a heartbeat. Um, and he follows her out to the boardwalk. Um, and starts a conversation with her, and he finds out that she's married. Um, but He's obviously still interested in her uh, and whatnot. So that's pretty much the setup, right?
3: That's – yep. I was going to ask another question, if you don't mind, now that we're in the spoiler territory. So Um, remember when we watched Spellbinder?
1: Yeah, yeah, the the, the Kelly Preston film, which was from the same era as well.
3: 1988, yeah. Yeah. So what I was thinking as I was watching this is that the endings – were similar, and they were not happy endings for the protagonist character. Right. But also the con, because in Spellbinder, there was the whole con of the main character. And then in this one, there's the whole con of the main character. And so I was wondering, as part of this process of, like, how long had she been surveilling him? Because, I mean, she
1: well i i i think we have a little bit of an answer because you said that actor ted sharp his character
0: Tom uh, sharp
1: yet. uh he's a lawyer he plays a lawyer in and the film and in a chance meeting uh we discover that um ned uh, is buddies with this guy and this guy says hey i recommended this woman to you about a, a year and a half ago she was looking for uh someone and and uh I thought of you because you know I know you kind of been screwing up, and I wanted to help you get your your caseload back. So it has to be at least a year, year and a
3: half that But it just do. looks like a lot of investment, right? in that knowing that he's going to make all the decisions he makes yeah. to make this whole plan work. right.
1: right. Well, that's the thing, right I mean that's and I think you would agree with this, Mike, right? I mean, obviously the the script assume certain things, right? That, But also his character gives us some information too because he is a slimy guy. He is a fuck-up. He thinks with his dick, not his his head. He's the type of guy that would uh, bang a a married woman and not give two shits about it. So she's looking for a specific type of guy. And if this was a weaker film, he would have done... He he wouldn't have necessarily been any of those things, and he would have just, you know, because how how can she, does she know that if she, not to sound rude because that's but that's intentionally what she does, spreads her legs for this guy that this guy would would jump, you know? Because well, if was, one he's if, a
2: guy, but Two, but again, Kathleen Turner, right right, but but if he's happily
1: married or he's religious or he's a guy yeah, exactly. wouldn't cheat uh or or whatever. You know that that so throws a wrench in her whole plan, right? So she has one thing, which is she's Kathleen Turner. Meaning she's she's incredibly hot. So every guy's going to look at her. The question is, would he now jump and fall for her in the sense that he would cheat? And two, is he the type of guy that would break laws to do so? Um, do things for her. So if it was a weaker script that wouldn't there wouldn't have been a planning, and she would have chose the wrong guy, and the guy would say oh i 'm sorry you 're a beautiful woman, but you know as long as you 're married i can't have relations with you or oh let 's kill your husband I, that's terrible don't i can 't talk to you ever again, you know, but she knew he would be that type of guy and do those things because she did all the research, and the script i guess gives us a main character that's so flawed that the script is feasible and and could work without us rolling our eyes and
3: saying, Oh, this is just too coincidental. Well, that's that what makes her so much more insidious too. Mm-hmm. Right. In, and just what she does and what she pulls off. So very, very kudos to her.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's definitely, um, and I know I, Mike, I always use this term, uh, and people can roll their eyes, but she's definitely a sociopath.
0: Oh Indeed. yeah, in
2: this case, it's, it's absolutely. You know, there's a um, the conversation. I took note of it, thinking that it might have a deeper meaning, and it, I don't think it did. Uh, but uh, the opening scene with William Hurt in bed with someone.
1: Yeah, yeah, like uh, <laughs> flight attendant or the waitress or whatever the hell she is. Yeah, or
2: whatever. I, I like my first thought was she was she might have been a, a prostitute, uh, but I don't think that was the case. And he's out looking at the fire across the bay um, that he's thinking one of his clients might've started. Uh, Right. But Uh, yeah, yeah, the Mickey rock character, but they have this conversation where she says, Oh sure. You did your job and now you're done with me, right? You know, you fucked me and now, now you're throwing me aside. And then she makes a comment and then he makes a comment about the building burning and, You know, that's history burning out there because it's some old building. And she makes a comment about, you know, you know, what something about who cares about something like some old buildings or who cares about history. And in both cases, you have this this theme of using something and discarding it. Right. No interest in a thing after it's discarded. And that's basically what Kathleen Turner does in this film. Right. She uses her. She uses which is Krenna and throws him away. She uses um, her high school friend, her high school friend, throws her away, kills her and then uses William Hurt and tries to kill him. Right. So it's the same kind of idea. And I thought, you know, there is a theme to that of things being used. I don't think it's a very deep theme, you know, I don't think they're trying to say anything grand or profound about this necessarily, but it is what this character is, someone who's just focused on getting their satisfaction and then moving on.
1: Right, right. And and the the proof of 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 her insidiousness is the fact that half of the money isn't enough. In other words, th- this guy, her husband, has a huge amount of money, and he has a um, a uh, will. Supposedly, that's that's um, uh, what do what you type of those wills where you a, a prenuptial agreement. That's it, right? And th- technically, if he dies, she will inherit. But if he doesn't, if he she divorces, she won't get anything. But if he does die, half the money is going to go to him I mean go to her and the other half of the money is going to go to his niece and this is a lot of money so even if she only gets half she's set for life but her insidiousness or sociopathy or just greed is she wants it all and doesn't even want to give it to the any to the niece so it it kind of is interesting um, how that falls upon what you said, Mike, uh, and, and and her character trait, I guess. You know, as you said, everything I want to say, except mention it, forgetting that one point, which is she wanted all the money, not half the money.
2: Yeah. And that's yeah, that's that is her greed. Um, and, you know, that she. I mean, I even wonder, like, did she use the kid? Explain. Well, because she needs to get suspicion thrown on William Hurt. Right. On Racine. Yep. And she invites him over to fuck her while the kid is staying with her. Yeah. <laughs> and, yep, yep. and she's given him a blowjob. Which means, in theory, his face is fully visible while she's there. Yep. Now it doesn't work because she's can't get past the little purple-headed monster uh, that she sees, so she doesn't know what he looks like. Yep. Um, although she might be able to describe the the penis in good detail. <laughs> um. But it makes me wonder, like, was she using her as a way – I mean, I, probably not because it would immediately throw really the suspicion on her. Yeah, yeah. So probably not. But with this what character, if, you can't be sure.
3: If she plays right. it right, though, it plays right into her what she wants to do, though. So I would almost give it to her that she did, like you pointed it out, that maybe she did, in fact, have that uh, aspect of using her niece.
2: And I'll also say you have to give uh you know, they they make the very uh they take the time to point out in the film very appropriately, uh that most people, you know, are who commit crimes get caught because they can't think of everything. You know, they think that if you the uh there's the line that Mickey Works says, which is repeating something Racine had told him earlier, that – When you commit a crime, 50 different things can go wrong. If you think of 25 of those, you're really smart. But there's still 25 more things that can go wrong. Right. uh, That you haven't thought of. And that's kind of what happens here with Kathleen Turner. She still wins in the end. But she doesn't realize by using him, he's already fucked up a, a will in the past. Right. And that's going to kind of throw things off a bit. It ends up putting she can't factor in the fact that he's good friends with the with uh, the uh, with the D.A. or part of it, not someone in the D.A.'s office and the cop. And so he's going to get a heads up that something is weird, or suspicious or that he's got a. Um, a that she's going to use his friend who's an arsonist. Right. Who's going to give him the heads up or give him a warning. Um, and all these things go wrong for her, she still manages to pull it out in the end. So it is possible that she hasn't thought it through as well as we're made to think it is, and so maybe using the girl was a mistake, um, but an intentional one, right? Something that she intended to do, and it just didn't play out the way she wanted.
1: That's actually a good point, Mike, and makes me appreciate the the screenplay even more, because if the screenplay had everything work perfectly for her then you could argue that oh that's just way too coincidental and and you know too tied up in a bow but you're right there is things that backfire for her because she even wanted i mean based off of what i read never mind what you see in the film is that she sets him up to die as well and make it look like he And she'd die in the boathouse together. But since he's been tipped off by his two friends, the cop and the DA, that she's dirty, he doesn't and tries to set her up to die. And then she still has a plan. Luck more than uh, a fallback, which is, if she lets the boathouse blow up with her dead friend inside, then it's going to look like he murdered her and she can still get away with it, even though that wasn't the original plan. So, right. so I, I think, I think, um, you're right with the girl that may have just been a mistake, uh, as well. um, so, yeah, yeah. And, and and the thing is, is that I, I, interesting, too, about it, too, is that I'm thinking, you know, because I, I, we all know a lot of guys that, you know, talk the, the talk and grab new girlfriends all the time um, after they're done with them. You know, and I'm talking about back when we were younger um, and there was any moment that he could, uh, you know, he's getting what he's getting from Kathleen Turner's character and she's so willingly offering it out it's not like he can't find other women so at any point he could just stop calling her and just you know go to the next hot chick at the bar again they're not going to be Kathleen Turner but they're still going to be attractive especially in, in Florida so she really has to play it up in the sack to make sure he doesn't walk I felt um and once and, and but but you know what I think I think that's part of the plan and that you you were talking about Sean where she knew that this guy would stick it out with her because she's hot and he won't and he's getting what he wants from her rather and and rather than going to the bar to find something fresh. You well, know? maybe
3: I'm wrong in the thing, but I also think though that when she. Then when they get the idea of killing the husband, yep. Then it's the talk about them going away. So I assume that the, it's not just yeah you're getting to be with Kathleen Turner, but you're also getting a Billions. huge amount of money. Yeah. So hey, we get to es- you escape and disappear somewhere, and we have to leave it like so he can leave his shitty job behind <laughs> and just live this life of Riley or whatever, right? So. I think that was a draw to was, like you guys kind of touched on it with the idea that he is a very corruptible soul right just by
0: yeah
1: I mean how just, he just himself
3: so well
1: just like, to to want to kill somebody is enough to even if the guy that he's killing is is kind of a dirtbag you know because he's a wealthy dirtbag that destroys people's lives and and, and what the the point is is that he still has no Care about killing the husband, right? I mean,
3: he was pretty quick to do it too. <laughs> like it wasn't like a yeah. long time thinking or pondering it. So, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: So, I, so I don't, I don't know. Is he a sociopath, Mike, or what? What is he? Because he didn't seem like it, mad, it. All that mattered to him was he.
2: I, I don't know if he's a sociopath, but but he's definitely.
1: He'd be a
3: narcissist. He, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, he—he's he, I mean, a flawed character, one way or another. Yeah. Um,
1: I mean, I don't know that I, what is it? He fell in love with her. And again, she's hot and she's, she's good in the sack and he can have it all the time. So that is enough for him to say, yeah, I'll I'll kill your husband so I can be with you.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's that. I mean, he's, he's amoral. I think that's clear. I don't know if I would necessarily say that he's, um, Uh, What do you call that? He's a sociopath? Because he certainly has feelings for for her. um, But there was a line of dialogue. Let me see if I can find it. uh, That was kind of telling. Where he talks about. What he wants. And uh, I've lost it. Second. Um, he says something like he wants to come home and like, have a massage and someone to make the bed. And she says, "Well, what you want is a wife." He says, "Well, I only want it for tonight." Now, so he he, he he's very present-minded, right? Right. It's
0: very uh, short. He's not,
2: yeah, he's not interested. Um he's not interested in in a long term relationship. Unless it's her. Um unless it's her. But even then, yeah, here it is. I need someone to take care of me, someone to rub my tired muscles, smooth out my sheets. And she says, get married. He said, I just need it for tonight. Um Yeah, can I buy you, when he meets her, can I buy you a drink? I told you I've got a husband. I'll buy him one too. He's out of town. My favorite kind. We'll drink to him. He only comes up on weekends. I'm liking him better all the time. So he knows he's sleeping with a married woman. Knows it right away. Doesn't care. So he's selfish. Um, He he doesn't he he cares for her but he cares for her because she's meeting a a need he has. Um, He isn't and she pegs him, uh, where she says, uh, you aren't too smart, are you? I like that in a man. And she says, what do you do you like? Lazy, ugly, horny. I got them all. And she says, you don't look lazy to me, You know, which is, again, part of it, is that she needs someone who do the work. But she does need somebody who is dumb. And she does yeah. play him. A sucker. Yeah. So, yeah. And she plays him for a sucker. He's got to be smart enough to be a lawyer, but not a particularly good one it's 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 like the the the
1: honeypot scam where where you got like these female spies that are really hot that give it up for um people that are in the government and then they get information from those people and then one day they just disappear and then you're left looking like a fool you know and that that's what it kind of reminds me of you know um. Because um, you know, in history, you always hear those stories where you got um, you know some general or some uh, agent that falls in love with this girl, and then the girl is really an agent for the enemy, and they can get information from this general or this person, and and and, and whatnot.
2: Um, oh, yeah, I mean, it's Matahari. I mean, JFK was banging, I think, a Russian spy at one point. You had um,
1: right. uh, rep- Representative yeah. Starwell,
2: right? Uh, was it David Petraeus who was banging his secretary or something? And
1: oh, that's yes, right, let, yeah, and he,
2: and, he and let her, and let her look at files that he wasn't supposed to. <laughs> right, right.
1: And then what, what's her name? Ming, 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 or something like that from Starwell. You know what I'm talking about, right? No, I don't. Off the top of my head, uh, the guy that ran for president. Uh, and lost the primary to Biden, uh, Stalwell, um, and he was banging a this okay yeah Chinese woman that worked first campaign, and she was a uh, an agent for China, and then she fled back to China. Oops. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just it's, uh, type in Stalwell, uh, China China spy, and, and it, it all comes up. But yeah, so so these things do happen, and and sex. You know, uh, if you find the right guy, oh, oh, sex can can trap him. And unlike some people, this 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 woman here, the Kathleen Turner character, uh, as you mentioned, Sean, um, did her research way ahead, and she knew that he, re- like you said, Mike, he really wasn't lazy, even though he didn't like his job. But when it comes to something that he's focused on, specifically a hot woman that he's fallen in love with that he wants to be with. He's not going to be lazy at all. And, and she she really went after him, you know, and it is William Hurt. So even though she's doesn't love him and she's having the sex for mysterious reasons, it's not like he's a beast. You know, it's not like she's, she's having to bang some fat, ugly guy, you know, so, <laughs> uh, but as she,
2: me- as she says, she did her research, right? So, Yep. Uh, so that she was out looking for she was attorney shopping down in Miami trying yep. to find someone in that town who could do what she wanted so it had to be someone who could that would could do a will Um, but wasn't aware that he had fucked up a will before right so and somebody that I guess I'm sure she asked about what he was like personally Right, to nope. try to narrow it down, or got maybe a short list and investigated a little further there. You know, and they do mention it's a, it's a small town, right? So yep. it probably wouldn't have taken a whole lot of work to find out about him. Right,
1: right, right. Yep, Exactly, exactly. And And the reason she wanted him specifically for never mind his moral character and the easiness that she's going to be able to um put out and and get him to do anything she wants but someone that she knows that screwed up in the past and so that would nullify the the will that she creates and says that it was him who created it it gets nullified and therefore as the wife she gets to inherit everything, and the, and the will that is supposed to split the money in half is thrown out. So, right. And he's angry, but he's not that angry because again, it's Kathleen Turner, and he still thinks he's going to be with her. So,
2: even well, though, and they just killed the guy, so right. you can't say, "Well, I know you would kill your husband," but you know, I thought forging a will was you know, beyond the depths to which you would sink.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's true. It's true. Yeah. So, so really the whole plot of the film is, is for them to kill her husband. So she inherits everything, not half. And then William Hurt's character thinks he's going to live happily ever after with her, where he gets all the money, as you said, Sean. And, he gets to um, sleep with, with with a hot chick and and, and uh, that he's he thinks he loves uh, pretty much every day, three times a day if he really wanted to. So that's all he's thinking, while she's just playing him the whole time, so she can get him the, the husband dead, that she can have a fall guy, that she can collect all the money, and then she can she can run. And she has a nefarious past, we learned, too, at the end, which is part of the the twist that you're talking about, um, Sean, and we can talk about that in a bit uh, as well, or even now if you wanted. But um, I I think – uh yeah I guess actually, I guess we can or right, well actually what is there anything else we want to talk about specific any specific scenes or Ooh. or actions what about what about the the clown scene that was an interesting scene right uh, I read a lot about that online which is there's a clown that drives by in a red convertible and he's looking at it like what the heck is this that's kind of weird came out of nowhere but it was blatantly put in there as a wink to the audience supposedly based off of what I read. As he's being, he's the clown because it's a red car, a convertible, just like not just like his, but generally the same idea. And he, basically, it's trying to say that, hey, Racine, you're a clown, you're being played. But anyway, what are you going to say, Sean?
3: Well, well I was going to say a couple of things. The one thing I liked was uh, Richard krenna getting into like old man power fight William Hurt's character. <laughs> He, like, really gave him a good uh, battle, and he was, yep. I, I don't, I, like, he was an older gentleman, but he seemed to handle himself quite well, so that was kind of interesting, um, and then we sort of talked about it, but this is the thing that I sort of mentioned with you, Phil, was when I was watching it, I kept thinking, like, William Hurt's character obviously sleeps around a lot, you know, that's not a hint, I don't think. And I was thinking, like, again, because it's, like, different time, but, like, how many STDs would he have? And then it came to that idea of uh, talking, like, when I looked it up, when I was looking up the release date for Body Heat, realizing that um, the AIDS epidemic started in June of 81. So, again, two months before this movie was released.
2: I'm pretty sure William Hurt's character spread a lot of that
3: yeah um but so i was just thinking like again we didn't you didn't know at the time specifically what was happening but what it would change down the road in regards to how you looked at sex right and that you needed to look at it more responsibly and in you know just in regards because of what could happen right so it just was that was something that just uh was interesting to me and then you like you kind of mentioned it to you at the start, Mike, about the the idea with AIDS as well, so and how that would affect things down the road, yeah,
1: yeah, and and um, yeah, but you know, you might mention Mike, uh, yeah, a lot of that stuff was thrown out of films because of probably AIDS and, and the panic and and the whatnot, um, but yeah, I, I didn't even think of that, Sean, and I told you that. Uh, offline when we were talking about it, but um, it was an interesting historical note and and the time frame this film came out. Um, so yeah, uh, I mean I Mike.
2: mostly noticed that because I remember them talking a lot about uh, like the Aids in films because of I was a Bond fan and that was a big question right because Bond was a notorious womanizer. He sleep around a lot in his films, and like once Timothy Dalton came in because of AIDS, they like really curtailed his his sleeping around because it was it was dangerous, and you didn't want Bond getting AIDS. That's not the character. Um, that's so they really really cut back the number of women. So I've always been kind of aware of that and noticed that, and um, yeah, and I think that's that. Yeah, here you see a thing of the before you know, what they could do beforehand and what, what happens after.
3: Well, I think there's also like, and another, this is again, my mind goes all over the place, but when I was watching it, the number of times they're smoking and they're smoking everywhere. And and just like thinking about, Oh my glad, I'm so glad that I came at the end of the cigarette era (laughs) where we actually got to the point where, you know, you could go to a restaurant and not be smoked out. So.
2: Yeah, and there was that one scene
3: <laughs> where well, they all just light up. The yeah, right. <laughs> says, yeah,
2: does anyone mind if I smoke and everybody lights <laughs> up except for Ted Danson, and he just right. says that's okay. I'll, I can inhale it from here or something like that. Um, and this, of course, is also way before secondhand smoke became a big thing. Yes. Um. So I I thought that was hysterical. Um.
0: And it's right. you
2: know it's a cliche is that smoking is um smoking is a a sign of sex so it's a sexy film so sure everybody lights up in the film because everyone except for on a, little, on a little white dick except for Ted Danson
1: right and and he even is offered a cigarette later you know when they're on the pier and he throws oh, they're the, the healthy too.
3: exercise cigarettes <laughs> so so yeah
1: it, it makes me wonder why uh his character doesn't smoke but his his character doesn't show any sexuality either so i, I don't oh, know no, it's it, not it,
2: true because when he walks in right these the the, the two guys oh, have right. uh have, have broken into his house because he left his door open yes. or at least they claim he left his door open and he's, and so he's, watching, he's reading, there a yeah. reading a playboy <laughs> but but yeah. then again for all we know he was reading the articles maybe
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. or like the cartoons maybe <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: right right yeah, for yeah. those younger <laughs> listeners who do not know Playboy was once a magazine that had pictures of nude women in. It. That's right that's right. Uh
1: but um yeah yeah so so yeah uh it is interesting that that Ted Zanz's character is so anti-smoking for a, a a time and a film that has smoking everywhere. Um but maybe it's it's supposed to be intentional to show his moral character. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah.
3: But it's just interesting watching a movie set in that time, in that era, right? And just like how things have
0: changed,
3: you know, yeah. in a few decades. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, that's true. Um,
0: yeah. I, I, I uh,
1: also thought it was interesting though with uh, Danton's character too, is when he's talking about R- Richard Crenner's character saying, Hey, the guy was a dirty guy. You know, uh, I have no problems that he's dead. Or, that he was killed, but I want to let you know if you had anything to do with it i 'm here you know, I want to give you all this information, so he does show some moral ambiguity as well because he's willing to protect his buddy, who he knows may be a murderer, and he doesn 't give a rat 's ass about someone that died, even if the guy was a scumbag, the guy didn 't deserve to die,
2: yeah, but at the same time he's also kind of doing a jig when he Realizes yeah. <laughs> he's got the goods on him, so yeah, yeah he, he he wants to help his buddy, but he's also might be getting a win out of it. So I just thought that was a really interesting way to do the character. And again, it's it's this is I think Ted Danson's first movie. Right. Um, it was before Onion Fields. I don't know. Uh, it, it's certainly early. I don't know if this is yeah. not if it's not his first. I mean, he was he is not a household name at this point. Right, 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 and
1: it was before Creep Show, wasn't he? A Creep Show too.
2: Uh, yes. Creep Show was eighty one, so it was in the same year, right? Yeah, 80-
1: yeah right. And Onion Field was pretty close to that time too. So, so it was right when he was he was just becoming a known commodity, even if he wasn't a household name.
2: All right. Well, you know, it's really hard for these uh, tall, good-looking actors with great hair to find a job. Right, right, right.
1: That's,
2: yeah, uh, I mean, it, yeah, he was one of those guys uh, that he was going to struggle. We know that he just got lucky. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, no yeah, that no, you're right. They, they they had pegged him as, as someone of, of no probably. But anyway, continue. Like
2: uh, uh, no, I'm, just, I'm just, just commenting that I, I just love this character in this film. Um that but yeah, he's not the most upstanding guy in the world either. He is very utilitarian, right? You know, whatever, he, he'll take the win. Right. Uh, but he's also he's not a bad friend. He does try to help him out. But he's also not a man of principle. That's the difference. Between, and he basically says it. You know, he says the, uh, uh, you know, kind of says, you know, I can look the other way. But our cop friend, yeah, no, he's not going to do that.
3: Yeah, he won't.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: Well, that's the thing. Ted, Ted Danson's character is a DA, right? And and the Joker nowadays about DAs is, you know, they're as corrupt as can be because they're all political. So back then if even if they weren't political they 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 were there for the win right i mean that that's, right. that's you know they, they can get a book deal they can get this they get you know on and on so so
2: or or just their politics right it's, it's political but they they can go to higher office right he's uh you know be a, yep. a DA in a larger town if he can eventually work his way up to being uh attorney general um yep. and it is unfortunately getting the feather in your cap Right, and you know, you don't want to think of it that way. You like to think that the people go there, they want to get the bad guys. Right, but there's just way too many stories. In you know, uh, I think like the Duke Lacrosse case was a good example where there was where they sat on exonerating evidence, so they knew right. they hadn't done it. Um, I'll, I so I was telling Sean before we got on, so I'm, we're in the middle of the the mock trial competition. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was talking to uh, an attorney, because we work with cooperating attorneys, and our local uh, DA, when the first uh, – this is in Orange County, New York, if anyone's wondering – when the first um, person was cleared based on old DNA evidence of like a sexual assault case, um, he told the police to go through and get rid of their old evidence. Because oh, yeah, that's not good. they didn't want anybody cleared. Right. And and it's like, I can understand mistakes happen. You you prosecuted the wrong person. I I'll get that. You know, but the idea that no, I want to keep my wins, so we're gonna keep these potentially innocent people in jail. It's like no, 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 no. And it's no. not just but one yeah, place, guys it's all be, over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's but it everything. also attracts a certain personality type, right? And that's part of the problem. Who do you who do you um, who do you draw to a job like that, right? And it's often people interested in power and in ambition, and right. not, not not for what's right, and not necessarily what. I mean, you you do get them. You do get your crusaders. You do get your incorruptible people. Um, but there's also way too many of the
3: bad. Yeah, right. The right, system right. is set up more for those ones.
2: Well,
1: well, and even the ones that are the crusaders to do good, sometimes they they go overboard too. They, it, so it's it you just don't find the right person, which is someone that's level headed. Period. That's that's what you need, and and you just don't find those folks. Right, concerned. because there's
2: no one more dangerous than someone who's convinced that they have a righteous cause.
1: Right exactly, oh yeah,
2: yeah, That's so true. yeah, so you you can put somebody there who um may believe they're in the right, but it's so easy to convince yourself in the right, and even if you're not and become blind to what you're doing um yeah it's it's tough, anyway, this is getting yeah. way deeper than we intended for a yeah. side character <laughs> that has uh, yeah, for side character. dialogues in the film.
1: Sure, sure, sure. Um, I, I did like the Mickey Roar character. Um, his scenes were, were very short and there was only two, but he, he was really stole the film at points during, during those scenes, and so it made sense that he became a star too and would have probably continued to be a huge A lister if he also didn't have behavioral health issues. <laughs> uh, uh, um, it's a theme for the episode, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I liked how the characters knew each other and they reacted with each other. Uh, here it is a, a, a crook that was basically got it off because of um, Racine, and so Racine can talk to him about doing dirty stuff, uh, and not worry about being turned in because loyalty um is there and i also liked how uh he offered we information to protect him and he also said he wouldn't rat him out either and um mickey Rourke's character seemed genuine in every every moment that he was on screen, so uh, I thought that his character was really good, and and he he played it excellent.
0: Um,
2: right, in that case, right here's a guy who likes his attorney and does him a solid. Yep. Right, so here is the bad guy. He's an arsonist. Yeah, you know, and yet he's kind of a good guy you know, in a weird way, right? Yeah, yeah. So yep. I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah. Um. And, and weirdly enough, he even stays up and I said, oh, I'm going to get myself a new attorney. You know, it's like, cause we, we're going to, we're, we, we've now done a crime together. I need somebody. Um, there's a conflict of interest here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was going to say in a so different
3: that, character. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Go on, please. Um, if you recall in the restaurant scene, uh, where they're having dinner with uh, the husband and yeah. they're like kind of having the, the, the go between. I was going to say that I thought that uh, Kathleen was her prettiest with how her hair was done up as yep. opposed to, cause it was like throughout the movie, it's all down. Right. And like, she's known for her hair being down, but just that kind of just, des- I don't know the design or way it was done. Like, I don't know. It was interesting, but the, I thought it was funny too because then she has a sequence where they're talking, and she makes the comment about, "Oh, I'm too dumb to know."
1: Right, right. Which is right. like
3: yeah. the whole because
1: like, I'm, I'm, I'm a woman. Yeah,
3: yeah. Meanwhile, I'm playing all of you suckers. <laughs> so, I oh yeah, well she's
2: clearly, uh, you know, taunting yeah. uh, and mocking her husband. Right. Um, right. It was. I also it was like the,
1: a wink and a wink to William Hurt's character too, because yep. you know he knows what's going on, and 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 she's saying, you know, that's her way of saying, you know, we're, we're doing our deed, and he doesn't even know it. But anyway, Mike, you on Well,
2: I also know because he mentions he has that conversation uh, with Richard Crenna. Richard Crenna is the one that actually asks him to join them for dinner, and then as that's soon it. as Kathleen Turner excuses herself to go to the to the ladies' room. Um, he basically tells him how his, he would kill somebody who fucked his wife. Right. And, you know, you kind of wonder there did he know or suspect what was going on?
0: Right. And, oh, that's and a he good never question.
2: answered. Right. I never said, I, mean, I no, knew you were fucking her.
3: How did uh, she explain when uh, William Hurt broke through the glass door? Well, she had a she had a whole week to
1: to get that fixed.
2: Get that replaced.
3: Yeah, you know, but and all like, she has yeah.
1: to do is all she has to do is offer, and you know, I'll pay you double if you come today. You know, because she's to have the money. So. So I was thinking uh, about the
3: maid too, right? That was there that she was kind of having the little uh, fight with. <laughs> if like maybe the maid would have seen that and and mentioned that possibly.
0: Right.
1: Well, that's the thing, but I mean, you know, you can use any excuse. You can say that yeah. uh, um, a branch, a, a wind, there was a windstorm and a branch hit it. Yeah, you, know, you know, I mean, I bet you, if it was repaired quick, and if even if he found out, I th- I could see her just lying, like you know, it's no big deal, and then he would just move on and forget about it. You know, that's well, that works. <laughs> Yeah. Um but what was I gonna say yeah, also there's a couple of things too that are curious, is is if if he didn't come to that bar in the town that she lives in and and he didn't find her there, or if he didn't meet up with them in the restaurant when they did and, and then the husband invites them invites them to to dinner, would she was those two coincidental? And if they weren't, would she have done something else to try to get him uh, wrapped around her finger? Anyone have thoughts on those?
2: Uh, Yeah, probably would have done something. She's manipulative. I don't think she would have given up easily. You know, she picked a target, though, that was clearly going to be likely to uh, not say no to her advances. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So uh, you're, you're right. Yeah. I mean, if they did look coincidental, you know, he happened to go that one night to her town looking for her and it's the only restaurant and bar in the town that she lives. And she just happened to be there that night, her assuming that he would be there, that he would show up, you know, but there's a chance, you know, that, I mean, that's a lot of guesswork that that would have, actually happen because you know he may have been just too lazy to to go you know I, sometimes i'm i'm watching tv and i, oh, I want to get an ice cream oh, i'm too lazy to go just forget it you know but <laughs> if, if it was t- if it was 10 years ago maybe or a different night maybe i would have got up and said yeah i'm gonna I'll, I'll go get that ice cream you know so that those things are coincidental i guess but you know again it is kathleen turner so i could see him yeah up there
2: so. I mean, lot, I mean, one of the hallmarks of these kind of stories, though, is always that the scheme is complicated and it always seems to go off well, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, you kind of take it as a part of the genre. And reality is, this is this scheme is just way too convoluted to ever <laughs> Yeah. Right,
0: um,
2: right. You know, because she requires finding. I mean, the 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 easiest part of the job is Richard Krenna. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just finding a rich guy that uh, that's willing to fuck her,
0: right? Uh, yep. That
2: that's the easy part, you know. And then you know, signing the prenup, you know, makes it even easier. Yep. Um. But in finding a William Hurt character who has all just the right characteristics that she needs and having a best friend who looks not a best friend or at least a friend, I should say, I take it back. And someone she knows. We don't really know what their real relationship is. Someone she knows from high school who just happens to look like her is gullible enough to play part in this uh, and take whatever money that she gives her. um, And then could get away with, and, and, and is available to change her name change her identity for a given period of time. Right, and so that nobody's going to necessarily go looking right away, you know, because uh, nobody really when she disappears. So that's all, really. Well, also,
1: like, also, like the 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 yearbook when he looks it up in, in the in the jail cell and sees that she was took on the identity of the of that girl you're talking about that she kills and uses as the fall guy. The, right, the she's is, smart
2: enough is, to switch it so that the dental records match.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. So, so technically, he could have showed that book, that yearbook, to the cop again because the, the cop still seems like they're kind of friendly, even even if one's now in jail. And he could have showed her, showed him the book, and say, "Look, this, this, this it's this girl. You know that. You've seen her. You, you met her. You know everything about her. And yet, that's not her name."
2: what good is it going to do her, right, is is do him at this point, because his his role –
1: Yeah, he's going to jail no matter what because he participated in a murder, even if he was a fall guy. So even if he was at the end explaining she's still alive, she's still alive, that still doesn't get him off.
3: Couldn't he have got a plea deal, though? What's that, Sean? Couldn't he have uh, got some kind of a plea deal to testify against her that would knock off some of his time?
2: maybe but the problem is he's a co-conspirator in this and yeah, they got to find
3: they, they got her the real,
2: too right and the real crime is what what is is the murder right yeah. the um so and they have to find her right so you're not going to get a plea deal on someone when you when you don't have the person
3: yeah yeah
2: in, te- in, in custody right so right um yeah, I don't think yeah, she was there testify against her, but he's he's just as much of an accomplice as as, as she like, you know, in, in the participant he just she was just smarter about it. Right. But he thinks it was his idea to murder him, right? He's the one that approached her. Right. So I'm not that they would necessarily know that. Um right. but yeah, I think he's pretty well fucked. I think in you know speaking of getting AIDS, you know, good luck in prison. Uh <gasps> Yeah, especially how he looks. Yeah. He's got that cute little mustache. Yeah. Um, He's got a pretty mouth.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, even though he found, he solved the, the crime of her, it still won't get him off. So, even if he did show it to his friend it doesn't really matter. Right. So, so yeah. Yeah. All we can do is, is maybe get some sort of revenge on her by saying, look, look, look. But after he does it and and they say, Hey, you're right. It's she she could still be alive. He still is going back to that cell that night and his life doesn't change. So. Yeah. Damn! What, what we can do to you?
3: <laughs> I have one more side tangent, if you guys don't mind as well. Is yeah, go ahead. I loved how the movie really played up the heat and humidity of Florida, because like when you um, you guys watch Scarface, like Scarface was also set in Florida, but it did not yeah. seem to play up that same level of heat and humidity and fog and just over or like over or like. Uh, overwhelming heat aspect. I
1: don't know about that. that. Um, Well, they didn't talk about it as much, that's for sure. Yeah. But everybody seems sweaty and yucky in that film too, but you're right. It wasn't talked about. Here, in this film here, it it almost was, was mentioned at least once in every conversation that happened in the film. So not only did you see it, and it permeated the film, but it was actually spoken of and discussed, and explained how horrible
3: it was. And as a ginger Canadian, I would not survive in that uh, climate.
0: It's yeah. it's unpleasant. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I, I I could probably handle it. I've I've always enjoyed the, the heat, not, maybe not as that much, especially, but but I still. May prefer it more than winter but that's just me that's just me now if it was my mother she couldn't handle it she would hate it as well if it was my father he, he was like me he could handle the, the heat so we in we, my wife she could not handle it I mean she, she put she puts the air conditioner on or, or opens the windows and I'm freezing my ass off it's terrible
3: so, like, we're on Team uh, Temperate Climate. <laughs> no, I,
2: I'm perfectly fine. I prefer it a little colder. Um, and my argument has always been that it's a lot easier to throw on a sweater, you know, than to, you know, just <laughs> strip.
1: Yeah, know. especially. Yeah, especially when, when you know, yeah, you know, when when you're married, you can't just walk around in underwear the whole day because the wife yeah. wrote, "That's disgusting." <laughs>
3: But yeah, like in like here, like I know this is another tangent, but it's like like here we get 35 degrees to 45 degrees Celsius in the summer. So when we got I, I don't know air conditioning, I don't I don't I don't I don't, I don't know what 30, it's like a hundred. I think Fahrenheit. 30,
2: 40, yeah, d- double it and add 30 gives you an approximation. OK, so 35 right. times two is 70 plus 30 is going to be 100.
3: Yeah, so yeah, like 100, yeah, 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 110 yeah. or whatever.
1: You have to you have to talk Fahrenheit on, on this podcast because I'm sorry
3: our, our, I'm using the evil our, metric system.
1: Our, yeah, that is evil. But also, <laughs> our, our listenership is still mostly Americans, even if we do have uh, other nations. It, Sean, anyway. So it's um, it's very hot in the summer, is what you're saying,
3: right? So, but it's a dry heat. So it was like it's great having air conditioning. And like I didn't if I didn't have air conditioning, I'd be running like multiple fans in my room trying to survive at night. But there's a difference between the dry heat and then like the humid heat mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that you would have in Florida, for instance. Sure, sure. Where I yeah. think the dry well, uh, heat is almost easier to deal with.
2: Oh right. yeah, I. Yeah. I mean, the one trip I took out to Nevada, and it wasn't that hot, but it was still, you know, I could compare it to how it feels in New York at the same temperature, and you know, there's a massive difference because it because it was dry. It was why it was I was walking through the middle of the desert. Yeah. Right, right.
1: Yeah, the heat is is, is from the sun. It's not from the, the, the hum, the, the, you know, the dew that's flo- floating in the air that swelters you. So it's a little different.
3: Yeah. Anyway. So look, uh, let's get to the end of the... Oh yeah, film. let's
1: talk about the end of the film. All right, go ahead, Sean. What do you got?
3: So, you got? well, I, okay, this is my alternate theory of what happens after the movie is she gets away, and she's living on her tropical island or whatever. But oh, yeah. I, I want to
1: like Brazil or something. I don't know where the hell it was.
3: Yeah, wherever it was. But it was a tropical climate, is what I just assumed. But yeah. uh, what I what I wanted to have as the follow up story was that she got bored with living this like tropical life, and then creates a whole new identity that then turns into romancing the stone.
1: <laughs> that's terrible because she's such a <laughs> she's such a good, good thing in *Romancing the Stones*. So I can't believe yeah, it.
3: She's she's very good as an actress.
1: Well, that's true. That is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because every time she she went up to Ned, she goes, "Ned, I love you so much," and and immediately he melts. And it's like we we you know if you haven't seen the film or you can guess where she's going, you're saying, "Oh, she's lying,"
3: you know. <laughs> So anyways, I thought that was a fun alternate theory for the result after this movie. So right, right. But yeah,
1: what happens is she sends she inherits all the money and immediately puts it offshore, you know, like Cayman Islands or St. Kitts or or somewhere. And then when she fakes her death. um, The money technically would go be inherited by. The niece at that point. But the money's gone, because the money's already offshore. So yeah. she, gets, she gets away with all the money. They think she's dead. And no one's after her.
3: And she's got someone else on the hook now, whoever that guy was on the beach.
0: Yeah. Because I don't yeah. think
3: she would stop. I I don't see her just retiring.
1: <laughs> right. But but it could just be a, a boy toy, you know? I mean, you still want to get be, yeah. You know, so maybe that's what he is. Who knows? So. uh,
3: I just figured, like, if she's going to go like she did to get all of that money, I don't see her stopping. I see her going to amass more fortunes. Right.
1: Well, you never know. I mean, there's two types of people. There's the ones that just want to get more and more and more and more and more money. You know, that's why, you know, you always question, why is Jeff Bezos still doing what he's doing? Why didn't he just quit and. Disappear, I would, but some people can't. But there's others that you know make a fortune. You know, the, the some famous band from 1983 that had did had two awesome songs, made gazillions, and then just intentionally quit. Even though the, you know they they could have kept on going. So yeah, so, so you never know. You know, I mean, or or you know Andrew Luck. You know, he says I'm all done. I you know I made my millions. I could easily make. Another $100 million if you continue playing, but
3: I don't want to get hurt anymore, so I'm out. I'm retiring. But it, it seems it, that it, those ones are more rare as opposed to the ones who are like, let's just keep going. I don't well, have enough yet.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. You know, I mean, you always hear about the ones that keep on going, but – but you well, you're right. For the NFL, right, m- most quarterbacks, they just keep on going, but – but you're right. Uh, but I'm sure there's still enough of people out there that make their fortune and they just leave, too. And we just don't hear about them because, you know, I don't know. And. Again, you know, if we just talk about local companies that we don't aren't famous people, how many of them keep on going or how many just retire at the age of 50, you know, and move on, I mean, this, you know, you hear about military folk who get the the huge pension, 80% pension they retire at the age of 55 and they're gone, poof, you know. So yeah. uh, but, but some of them continue working and then they get the pension plus a, a regular salary and so they're making double the money too. So who knows.
3: I guess I just wanted to push the people who don't stop and like are like spreading bodies along the way are the they live up to the people suck aspect.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, let's see, uh, anything else that we want to discuss here? Is any other scenes, specifics? I what yeah. say, I
3: just wanted to, to go back to the spellbinder. I just like the ending was not what you would have expected from Hollywood at the time. Right. It seems right. like it was pushing, a, it wasn't a happy ending. It wasn't the, the protagonist managed to get through all of this mess. No, nope, oh. he's in jail for the rest of his life. <laughs> and she's um. living it up.
2: Well, I mean, it, it depends, right? What do you consider the happy ending to be? He's the murderer. <laughs> you know, It's like but he I was manipulated into committing a murder, but he committed a murder. Um, yeah. Yeah, once upon a time assume... the, 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 the,
1: the, like the murderer to going to jail... ...have
3: sympathy for him.
1: Or pity it at the very least.
3: Yeah. Because he totally got played. Like, he was stupid. He made very stupid decisions... But there's that aspect of like, well, you were following his story. It wasn't anyone else's story, really, right? We were following it from his, his journey, where, right. you know, interacting with all the other people. So it's, it feels like it's, you could have had an aspect of he was a protagonist, maybe not a pure protagonist, but he was the one you were following and you had the most um, investment in. Does that make right. sense?
1: Yeah. yeah, No, that's true. But I do see Mike's point, too, which is, well, technically, but yeah, he, it, <laughs> it, it, he went to jail, which is right. The, uh, but also, though, I mean, it, she gets away with it, too, though, and she yeah. wins. Right. That's, even that's the real gone. thing.
2: Yeah. It's, and it's not only that she gets away with it. It's that, I mean, you can even add another layer to it. It's not only does she kill her husband. And get away with it. She also takes all the money away from the was it sister,
1: the sister and the and the niece, yeah, uh, the niece, yeah, sister and the niece, and, and,
2: and they get nothing. So, yeah, it's the idea that the real mastermind here. You got one dumb schmuck who goes to jail because he deserves it, uh, and forever long he's going to be in jail. Um. And his life is over. His life is ruined. Uh, and appropriately enough, his life is ruined. But, yeah, it's, but she gets away with it. She gets away with it. She gets away with it. It's, it not just gets away as a fugitive from justice, she gets away free and clear with a happy life.
3: She's like what Little Figure could never accomplish in Game of Thrones.
2: Yeah. Yeah,
1: sure.
2: So. Well, I mean, well, the yeah. catch is this, Did she, does she does she stop? Right? As, as Phil pointed out, she had it, she never had to do anything more, she could have stopped there, she wanted more.
3: And that's how why I think she, would she wouldn't stop.
2: How long will she be content sitting on that beach in Caracas, or wherever it is, and before she has to try to get even more, so there is always if this is a narrative that continued if this was not a character that only existed within the confines of a hundred and twenty page script, right, then there would be a good chance that one day this character would end up getting their comeuppance because of their greed, right that they would, would never be, be able yeah. to
3: right, sorry.
2: But um, It was just be a matter of not,
3: how many lives would be destroyed in the process.
2: Right. How many lives are going to be destroyed in the process? And, again, we know that she is, in fact, a literary character, and we are left with the, the impression we are left with is not that this will eventually destroy her, but that she got away with it. And nobody stopped her, not even those meddling kids. <laughs> because all they could do is look at the giant purple people. <laughs>
1: So yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing is, is that uh, the villain gets away with it. Not that our protagonist was was a good guy, uh, but yeah, the ironic thing is, I guess, is, at least that's what you're implying, Sean, is that the villain, meaning Kathleen Turner's character, uh, gets the happy ending. Oh. And that's our, and that's kind of irony, I guess. So
3: in some aspects, you could see it's a realistic story. Because that's you know that happens in our our own world right where there's bad people do bad things and sometimes never have to pay for it.
1: Absolutely. Yep, it happens all the time.
3: So, which is why I thought it was not the regular Hollywood ending of everything gets tied up nicely with a bow.
2: Right, but that's also all kind of a hallmark of the
1: genre of the of yeah. the noir. Yeah, the film noir. Yeah, yeah. The woman, always, the femme fatale, always wins, and the guy. F- uh, even in the, all those 40s films and 50s films, the hero always loses and the, the femme fatale always wins and she's evil.
2: All right. And yeah, so there's always that, nihil- that, that nihilistic aspect. Um, if you want to say that, you know, it, it's if, you, of course, you believe that films have to have a particular message. Right. And um, right. Yeah, I don't know. That's going full nihilistic. I don't know if it's saying like, "Oh, well, life is meaningless." But yeah, you're right. Sometimes the bad guys do win. <clears throat> you know, sometimes yeah, sometimes the KGB agent gets to become in charge of Russia.
0: And <laughs> yep. <laughs> <sighs> yeah,
1: that's true. Um, and, and the wealthiest uh, man in the world. At least one of them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, so I can see where you're coming from, Sean, when you keep on comparing this film with Spellbinder, the 1988 horror film starring, uh, you know, witch horror film starring Kelly Preston, where uh, she is kind of like a femme fatale and, and and the ending of that film as well. Um, but again, as Mike said, you know, if that you could even argue that is a horror version of a, a neo-noir film. Um and all these film fatale neo noir uh and film noir films um the hero or protagonist or anti hero seem to always lose, and the villain always wins so and if this film is trying to play off being a neo noir meaning it's it's very similar to the films of bygone days, then the ending makes sense so if you knew going in that this is a, a neo-noir, you probably knew already that.
2: That's a likelihood. Yeah, exactly. That's a likelihood. What? Who are the and good characters in this?
0: <laughs> Who are there, the good
2: characters in this film? Oh, uh, uh, the niece. The, the niece is too young to have, to, uh, and right. she's now horribly scarred and we'll go on and, do terrible right. things. She'll grow up to become a, a, a femme fatale herself now. Now that she's learned about blowjobs at the tender age of eleven. Um, uh, what a,
1: maybe 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 her her mother.
2: Yeah, and her mother we don't really get enough to know about. Yeah. I certainly, I mean, I guess maybe you could argue his cop friend.
1: Yeah, yeah, he seems like he's all right. Yeah, yeah. Again, I don't know his true motivations, but but he generally
2: doesn't seem like a bad guy. But you could also argue. I mean, I I guess from a certain point of view, I don't know that I would necessarily agree with it. He's also a guy that you know got his friend arrested for murder. (laughs) So
0: uh,
2: you know, I look, I get it. He was a murderer. He was. He was. He was. That's. That's. But he still, you know, turned on his friend, which is, you know, which is, you know, the. which is the right move there, right? You know, it's like if we have evidence that Eric has murdered somebody, is the right thing to protect Eric or is the right thing to turn him in? Right, right. Um now and in, in fairness in this particular case, the Ted Danson character points out that uh Richard Brenna was uh Brenna, rather was was like apparently mobbed up. Yeah. So as you said, he he, he's not going to lose any sleep over that, right? And I can certainly and and then now again that brings to a certain utilitarianism, right? Is it fine to not care about certain as a especially as a law enforcement official, which a a DA or assistant DA is technically is? Does it matter whose life died? you know do can you play those games when you know someone who's a crook i think the reality is we all know that there there have been people historically you know there in this world that have died and people have cheered um and justifiably so when charlie manson died you know just like people were happy that he was dead i don't think anybody would like you know somebody who started wearing black and mourning the death of charlie manson probably would get some weird weird sideways glances Yep.
1: Yeah, so I, I, I would have to concur with you, Mike. Uh I don't think there was necessarily anybody in the in the film that was developed enough that was quote unquote a good 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 person. What about
3: the clown? The clown didn't do anything wrong.
1: Well that answer, you are I answered my question already by saying that was developed well enough. <laughs> So uh, the con wasn't developed well enough. Um, well, anything else? Because uh, we're recording longer than I thought about this film, but we had a lot to talk about, which is pretty good. Anything else, anyone?
2: Not off the top of my head. I mean, it, like I said, it's a good film. It is not a terribly deep film. It is a thriller. It's an entertainment film. Um, sometimes that's enough. We say yeah. that's the whole point of films, first and foremost, is to, to entertain your audience.
1: Indeed. Um, all right. So uh, let's uh, get into some final thoughts. But before we do, uh, a little house cleaning here. Uh, so, uh, Sean, what, what's this, this new podcast that me, you, Mike, and Barrett are recording? And so, by the time people hear this episode, we'll have one episode of this new podcast already out.
3: I believe it is called Cortana's Communiques and it's based on the new Halo series uh on Paramount Plus.
1: That's right. And uh we're basically gonna talk about each episode weekly. So we're gonna follow the show weekly and uh give our thoughts on each episode of the the new series on Paramount Plus. Uh Mike, what's that other podcast that me, you and Eric sometimes do? We're gonna be doing uh, one up, uh next week as a matter of fact
2: yeah that would be cinema a la carte um cinema a la carte is a sister podcast to dark discussions in which uh phil and eric and i just take turns choosing a movie that is not a horror film that we would like to discuss uh the most recent one was i believe the edge
1: yeah yeah that's coming out on a uh it's in the queue right now
2: uh, we've done history of violence you know we've done uh, hostels, but they aren't all or and collateral but they aren't all th- uh, thrillers and uh, films like that because we've also done things like uh starlet and uh, uh inside gordon. out and, and flash gordon so uh my turn is next up after then we do the next one that we're recording and i have no idea what i'm going to pick i've got a few different thoughts in my head and it could go any number of ways.
1: Oh, actually, actually, no, it'll be Eric again, because actually we did, a, we did the edge, but we did that, that kiss, kiss, bang, bang, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. So that one, wasn't it kiss, kiss, bang, bang, the, the Robert Downey Jr. Film. It's,
2: right. We did kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Yeah. So that was the last one. And then the edge? Was yeah. Was the edge before? Was, after yeah. Because, was because we've, been it, we've been doing it in alphabetical order. So Eric. Mike. Oh, okay. Right. Right. So Phil would be next. Even so. That, yeah. sure, that gives me more time to worry about it. Yeah. Um. So
1: Eric will get the next choice after we record my pick on Monday night. Yeah.
2: yeah. All right, yeah. sounds good.
1: Yeah. All right. And then uh we also have a Halloween boutique psychotronic reviews, which is a, a kind of catch-all podcast where we review a lot of screeners and indie horror films and some interviews and stuff. And catch that one too. We have about four or five episodes of that in the Q2 to be released. Um and so that's pretty much it there, so I guess we get our final thoughts on this film here. So, uh, Sean, why don't we start with you?
3: Uh, very enjoyable. I was going to say thank you, guys, for letting me join you tonight, uh, especially with all the stuff world event-wise. It was kind of nice to be taken to a different time and era, and kind of be distracted for a little bit. So, thank you very much for letting me well, be able to be only part a of that. Couple of
2: lives Irwin.
3: Yeah, <laughs> much different scale, thankfully. Um, but yeah, it's I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a a fun watch. I probably wouldn't have ever watched it if it hadn't been for the suggestions. So thank you for that. And, uh, I would recommend giving it a shot. If you have a chance, good cast, the story's fun. And if you like 80 stuff, it's right up your
0: alley. <laughs> hmm. All right.
1: Sounds good. Uh, yeah, for me, um, yeah, this, this film, uh, is fantastic. Roger Ebert is right. Uh, Is a great director and screenwriter, and Lawrence Kasdan uh, has an absolutely fantastic cast, and Kathleen Turner, William Hurt, among uh, the sporting roles. Uh, The story is really good. has an excellent throwback to bygone eras. It has the the raw feel of the 70s and 80s cinema as well, and it has Kathleen Turner naked. So it's a a big thumbs up for me. It's a a great film. Uh, Let's go with you, Mike.
2: Yeah, it is a I, – I don't want to take this the wrong way. It was, a, for me, a surprisingly solid film and uh, that I really didn't know what to expect going into it. But as I said before, whatever impressions I had were probably the impressions I had when I was 11 years old. And, you know, you hear something as sexy and erotic and you think it's some sort of, a, you know, uh you know like the blue or something Harlequin novel or something Harlequin romance. Yeah like a blue lagoon or something and 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 it's not that at all and probably I had no reason to believe in that. I've just never thought twice about the film again. Uh I remember it coming out, but again I was ten or eleven years old. Uh yeah I mean I'm sorry that we've lost William Hurt, but we are of an age where we will be losing more and more people every year. Um and that just is the way it is. It's the circle of life. And so we'll get used to it, but uh, we mourn his passing. I will continue to enjoy his work. He actually has a lot of other films that uh, I have not watched. I'm sure I will be, uh, and in the case of Altered States, a film I've been meaning to rewatch for a while, so I may take any, uh, find a reason to do that. And um, yeah, so I would recommend it. I definitely recommend it if you like thrillers, if you like crime films, and if you like noir films or noirish neo noirs, or if you just want to hear Kathleen Turner's voice certainly give it a shot. Indeed, that's the truth.
1: Um all right, so uh once again this is a 1981 film uh entitled Body Heat, uh starring William Hurt, Kathleen Turner among others, directed and written by Lawrence Kasdan. Uh considered one of the best films uh by uh Ultimate Critic Roger Ebert. Uh the film is readily available wherever you can VOD but also there is a Blu-ray out and a DVD out as well. Um, The film is considered a classic and probably uh, worth checking out just for that fact. Um, And uh, I know we're revisiting it because of sad times, meaning the passing of uh, the star at an untimely age of 72. But all in all, um, it was... uh, Good uh, to once again rewatch it for me and introduce it to uh, the co-hosts here who had never seen it, even though they knew about it. Uh, so I guess pretty much with that. Uh, oh, and thanks, Sean, for joining. We definitely needed you, especially when we had so many dropouts tonight because of un- unforeseen is- issues. But all in all, uh, I think the episode went pretty good. And with all that stated, Mike, why don't you lead us out?
2: Yes, yeah, so I guess once again, thank you for listening to this special episode of the Dark Discussions podcast. Uh, please tune in next week when you will hear us talk about something else.